0: Very funnily went up to him and said I was Jermaine, is it? Oh it was very funny, you can call me (laughs) JJ if you
1: want. So the whole game
0: I'm there. JJ, JJ. I even shortened it to J at one point. I was like, well I scored and he didn't, (laughs) so OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 730 on the OTB Sports app.
2: OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember
0: effortless shave magnificent Mo half past seven on this Friday morning the 4th of November and welcome along as always on Friday to OTBAM, AM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent Mo you can sign up or donate now at movember.com delighted to be joined in studio this morning by the presenter of the Coy Gig Pod and Sligo woman Kathleen McNamee morning Kathleen morning Shane and Corkman and OTPM producer extraordinaire, Colm
2: Buhig. Colum, good morning. Shane, Kathleen. Sorry, it's not
3: Colum. Aye.
0: It's
2: actually Colum, isn't it? And uh, The monster pronunciation is Colum. It's an important distinction, I think. So we have Manahan and Sligo here. How do you say my name? Colm. Yeah, very good. I only, I, actually I only
3: know that from the last like few months of knowing you. I didn't yeah. say it like that before.
0: <laughs> One of my best mates is called Column and we call him Colum at home. But of course, because you're from Munster, I... And if you're a Munster, callum, what would out? you call him? I'd call him Colum. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I know it's. I'm Corp learning. Suits you. <laughs> I'm learning. Does yeah. it suit me, boy? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, oh God. Sorry, no. anyone offended. We were in South Monaghan oh, yesterday. Thanks, we? thanks for thanks for coming on. The accent slot. <laughs> I just I just leave. Uh, guys, Europa League last night. Um, it, it's it's funny. It was funny watching United in the lime green shirts and them all devastated after the game because they won one nil. You look at the scoreboard. You're thinking, oh, what's wrong here? Of course, they needed the two-goal cushion uh, to qualify. Uh, to qualify without having to play one of these Champions League losers, um, it was it was a strange game, but. Um I don't know. I, I, I don't know where I feel about United. I, I, when I saw Harry Maguire up front, I think that was the epitome of, what the hell is going on? I
3: didn't. I wasn't actually watching the game because I was out and about last night. But uh, I saw like I was on Twitter and I saw somewhere that Harry Maguire was playing up front. And I was like, <laughs> what? is this a, a cry of help from yeah. Eric Ten Hag being like, please give me some money in January, please? <laughs>
2: yeah. Southgate must have just been watching going, what? Like Eight minutes as well, do you know? I need other options in the bench. But I like to concentrate on the positives, so we'll take about Garnacho scoring a great goal. Set wow. up lovely by uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Great through ball. Well, yeah. standard enough through ball at that level. But I feel like, you know, he gets a, that extra little bit of credit when he does something well, Ronaldo, these days. Does, it does. He was actually yes, he bobbled a bit. When he actually past. plays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. When he doesn't walk out of the stadium before the match yeah. even ends. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's
2: improving all the time. Yeah, he's one yeah. for the future. But the passing there, well, they actually bobbled through to him. But Garnacho's first touch and then finish is brilliant. But <clears throat> um, he's a serious talent by the looks of it. Yeah, Ronaldo, know, yeah, he looks like a good player though. Ronaldo left. <laughs> He's good. Uh, no, no, he is. Gennaro has yeah, talent. Uh, there was complaints about his attitude in the pre season tour, and Bruno, uh, Bruno Fernandez said the same afterwards last night that there was question marks over his approach to training. Um, but you can see the kind of the raw talent there, and he becomes Manchester United's youngest ever goal scorer in Europe. Didn't know that. Beating right? uh, George Best by 33 days. Ooh! So he has that kind of uh, Kiko Makeda bit of history to him at the moment. You Kiko know, Makeda of the traps. Aston Villa nine. Then he scored once more Against I think it was Sunderland Or maybe Chelsea Maybe twice more And then you know What became of Makeda So hopefully Garnaccio has Goes a different trajectory But he mo- looks like A much superior player And uh, Ten Hag's a fan Most importantly What did become of Makeda? Where he is played for several clubs He did He was one of them journeyman kind of thing Yeah it'd it? be a good Quiz question
0: actually He's now playing for Turkish Super League club Ankara Gucu. There mm. you go He's He'd 31
2: 31 yeah make, That would make sense Yeah Right um, um but yeah, yeah another another attacking option you know, and like there's I think Garnacho was more to his game than Alanga, but i like I rate Alanga for certain games he's actually really useful to have in the team, but there's something there's something about the kind of self confidence of Goaccio that I like, and it's just kind of the raw materials to work with and you can see that Ronaldo's a big fan of his too, you know when yeah, he like go, when he scored, he went over and he's given big hugs and uh, big smiles and you can tell when Ronaldo really buys into a, a young player like yeah, you know under his wing uh, the Gooners then Kathleen top of
0: the group so finishing 15 points with 4 wins 1 loss uh, PSV finishing in 2nd and 13 points 2 behind them so job done I guess is the underlying thing
3: yeah and I think that was kind of all they wanted from this group you know like even I I didn't catch the full game last night but I just kind of watched some of the highlights when I got home and Mm. it was a bit of a struggle for Arsenal I mean like 1-0 it's not exactly an emphatic win (laughs) but at the same time it wasn't you know the main starting team it was kind of like testing out a few players giving them the opportunity they managed to grind out the win and that's kind of what Arsenal this season have done in most situations obviously there's been one or two slip ups but the thing that they haven't been able to do in the past is just get those little dirty wins and I feel like that's exactly what last night was Mm. always nice to see Tierney getting his moment. lovely uh, strike
0: as well, yeah.
3: yeah. goal. really, really, really nice goal. And, uh, I, well, I was talking about his shirt being ripped Sorry, open and him. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 more importantly. Him um, still having it tucked in, even though it was ripped, <laughs> it was quite impressive. But no, it was, it was a really, really nice goal, really nice strike. And he's had a bit of a up and down time for the last while, like yeah. just even with injuries and stuff as well. So I think even just for his confidence, it was really nice to see him get the goal.
0: Um, Legend. Speaking of legends, I'm, I'm not sorry. I'm not going to guarantee any of the legends bracket just yet. But <laughs> you were uh, you were down meeting some cop legends last night.
3: I was. I was at the off the ball roadshow with Robbie Fowler and John Aldridge, which was it was actually really cool. It was the first time I'd properly been in that sort of like Irish Liverpool obsessive fan <laughs> sort of culture. Like, I don't really have too many Liverpool fans in my life. My dad's an Everton supporter, so right. that might be part of the reason why. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really interesting listening to them chat and particularly the talk around Jack Charlton and, you know, what he did for Ireland and like Alders got quite emotional several times. Really? And he was, yeah, really, really emotional and he was get he was really strong on the fact that there should be a statue to him somewhere at the Aviva and he was like calling out the FAI, he was calling out the government and like he got the whole crowd kind of whipped up about it and everyone was, you know, chanting that they wanted this, this statue and I mean he's not wrong in it but I was just I was quite surprised at how emotional he was talking about it still because I presume he's probably talked about it quite a bit since the passing of Jack, um, but yeah, it was it was a really fun night. Lots of good stories. Stay tuned on OTB Digital for a few of those coming out over the next few days. Nice. Um, and it was it was kind of one of those nights where, like, there was obviously football on, but it wasn't being watched, and it was kind of nice actually just immersing yourself yes. in that sort of
0: nostalgia, nostalgia,
3: well. nostalgia and culture. Um, and the lads were like great crack I mean I'm sure they're well versed at this stage of how to get an Irish crowd going and they yeah. certainly knew how
0: to you'd forget that um, you'd almost forget the impact that, that Jack Charton's death must have had on those players because I mean you, we just think of him as oh, he was just the manager the gaffer of those players but really he was there he was so close to them for so many years when you think of the the, the three tournaments and the years that he brought them through and the mm-hmm. games and the travelling and the flights and the hotels like he was so close to them for so long and, and, and he did so much for Irish Football Jack that it must be emotional for the likes of John Aldridge and those players to kind of think back and reminisce now that he's no longer with us.
3: Yeah, well, like Aldridge said several times last night that he was the favourite manager that he ever worked with, like hands down. And there was a couple of times where he talked about, you know, difficult moments he was going through in his personal life and that, you know, Jack was the person who came to him and checked on him and made sure he was okay. And it might have been outside of camp time or like Ireland time. And he said, I think even like past the time when they were working together, he was still the person that would come and check in on him and be like are you all right mm-hmm. you know are you getting on okay and it, i suppose it's such a testament to his character that he did that and such a it's so nice now that those players are, are able to talk about him in that way and are able to have those memories beyond just the football because i think obviously you have all these great moments as a footballer especially of a footballer of his caliber and they stand out to you. Like, he talked about the first time scoring into the cop and, like, what it meant to him, but he was like, that's the stuff that really gets you through, especially when you stop playing. You know, yeah. you have your glory moments, but it's the support of people like Jack or the, the memories that they gave you and the people that matter more.
0: Our own Emma Carroll has suggested there should be a statue of Jack on the Walkinstown roundabout. Perfect place. That would be great. Perfect
2: place to put it. Uh, Jonathan Wilson has written the, the book Two Brothers about Jack and Bobby. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah so uh, Joe's going to interview him soon about it Um, but Joe's saying there it's an incredible read even the first five pages just sucks you in completely and uh, the one thing that immediately stands out is that I suppose we all associate Jack Charlton with backs against the wall football and put him under pressure and all that but that he was absolutely fascinated and uh, thoroughly enjoyed talking about the game with people you know like and the tactical insights that he used to um he used to just like, couldn't get enough of. Like he would devour, he would devour people's minds about it and uh, get more information that he could. And even in the Finding Jack documentary, you could see his like tactical insights on paper that he'd write about. And he was kind of you know talking about the kind of high press game before that became a term at all. You know, and Jack was all about that. And I'm I'm just not surprised at all that players like John Aldridge and everybody from that era just such fondness for him because of like he made a lot of those players' careers. Yeah, you know, and I like it. There's the other side of them that the football still wasn't as good as it could have been considering the talent on show. But he was much more of a tactical thinker than people I think realised. You know, like, and that yeah. book kind of sums it up.
0: A lot of Irish players like nowadays, especially, just want to get to one major tournament just to they, like look at the women's team. I mean, yeah. they can well, like hopefully they'll push on after the World Cup and, and get to more major tournaments. But when you think of the players who were around for that entire Charlton era under like three major tournaments, one Euros and two World Cups, that's just the stuff dreams are made of for those players. Yeah. I'd say, like, when if you said to them in nineteen eighty-seven, you're gonna you're gonna play in three major tournaments. They're like, nah. Mm. Not all. It's
3: kind of it's almost incomprehensible even to like us as fans now, like yeah. that sort of opportunity. I know we talk about say the women going to the World Cup next year and hopefully they kick on this new Nations League format. May not. Which help we'll get too to much later that. we get to We well will get it. to we'll that, that later on. We need <laughs> a bit of time. ten we'll <laughs> minutes on this. Yeah. It's it about two pages of notes just trying to work <laughs> out like what actually oh. happened. Um, but yeah, like I. And especially for me, I think last night, because I was never really around that sort of like Jack Charlton culture. You know, I never really spent all that much time around people who were chanting about Jackie's army. It was such a and I've obviously I've read about it, I've heard about it, I listened to all the nostalgia pieces that are done every single year on it. But it was just it was something really nice to witness it and then also there was like a little bit of sadness as well that that's just not normal culture for us in football (laughs) the last few years like we just haven't had that level of and maybe it'll come in time but like the idea of going to three major tournaments is just unthinkable really for me
0: yeah it just seems so like the watching the World Cup in 02 with the TV being wheeled in as we spoke about in the show yesterday like just seems so long ago Long ago, because the tv being being wheeled in for a start, that just wouldn't. Oh, I love that. How, do, how, would, how would it happen now for kids in schools?
3: Uh, it probably just Let's
0: go on YouTube.
3: Yeah, they probably just the have screen. like projectors up on so the schools. I and bet they don't have chalkboards. Oh, that's not sad.
2: Yeah. They don't have chalkboards, do they? It's an it evolved school. My old know. primary
3: school still has chalkboards. And
2: you need the chalkboards. The old VHS, on the, it was cumbersome to bring in. Oh, just to bring in. You guess, know what yeah. I mean? It was yeah. cumbersome. Um, and every school seemed to have the same setup. Something. Um, Kevin Bridges touched on last night. You are Kevin Bridges. Bridges, yeah. He's doing a few, is he doing a few nights? In... A few, I think I originally only did two. Uh, right. Now he's doing four, five. His first oh. night is Wednesday, so I went last night. Our own Phil Egan's going tonight. Oh. And then he's uh, doing Saturday and Sunday as well. How phenomenal. was he? Really good. Oh, he's so good. See, three-rider, right, wasn't he? It? It's the best I've seen him. He's looking phenomenal. Is he, he's yeah? He's lost a load of weight. And, and he's trim. He's a kid now. He's married. The whole shebang. Right. Uh, a lot of kind of audience interaction. You wouldn't want to be in the front row at all with him and of course he's a big Celtic fan huge football fan yeah. and I was talking to uh, you know a show legend in Graham Hunter uh, about the Jared Piquet story last night and hopefully Graham will come on early next week to talk about that and uh, I was just telling him oh I'm at Kevin Bridges and of course he had him on his own podcast a ah. big interview and it was actually if anybody hasn't heard that podcast, I mean like obviously you're gonna to listen to all of our podcasts, but when you're done with those <laughs> you can go to the big interview with Graham Hunter and he has Kevin Bridges on and you think this is gonna be a general chat about comedy and about his love of Celtic. But again, like Jack Charlton, talk about tactical insight. Kevin Bridges can talk football all day long. So, Graham was was asking me today, oh, did Carl Spain warm up? And I was like, yeah, he did. How'd you know that? The three of them went to the Champions League final together in May. And he said the lads never shut up about football, but they know nothing about Spanish football. He (laughs) wants to make that very clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I asked Graham, any chance that the two lads could come on, Kevin Bridges and uh, Carl Spain together? So that's pending. So hopefully we'll have that. We'll have I was that. just
3: about to say I would love to be at the like pre-match pints for that. Like, oh. the, just imagine sitting around that table and just listen to the three Unreal. of them
2: chat. Yeah, and saw, hopefully
3: we'll get to do it here. He yeah, is yeah, that's the
0: ambition. Yeah, so, I saw Cambridge live. I think it was. It must have been the last time he was in Dublin, but it was certainly pre-COVID. I can't remember what year it was, but he is. He's one of those people like like imagine. Imagine being a comedian walking out into an arena setting. It's just one thing being in like hmm. smaller club settings and even the the Olympian places like that. But if you walk into an arena, it must be. Well, they're used to it, but it must be terrifying. Like he 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 is one. He's top tier comedian. Like. I love him as
2: uh, like. He, <laughs> he uses so many football analogies too <laughs> for mm-hmm. everyday life, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I know Phil Egan will tonight as well. But like I yeah, he's incredible to watch. Like his dealing of hecklers is uh, unparalleled. Does he encourage it or he just shuts them down if he doesn't like what they're saying? <laughs> and like like you say, it's an arena so do you know the night goes on and like you're able to drink away in there so there's no stopping anybody really like yeah. the bar goes before it starts but you can get as much as you want before that so like as the night goes on people are getting a bit larrier yes and there's no problem to him at all like he, he kind of he kind of relishes relishes a bit of it and there was one poor fella I won't name him now like, but there's poor fella at the front row and um, Kevin got talking to him or whatever, whatever it was about your man's answer anyway Kevin wasn't having it but you know when you're back you can only hear the mumblings yes. of the, whatever he's saying he has to repeat it obviously but like, um, Kevin wasn't having it and jeez I felt sorry for the fella for the rest of the show because he kept it coming back to him and other people would say stuff in the crowd and he was enjoying their quips but he was saying to this fella like you see that's how you do it <laughs> that's how you do it I'd say the fella went down, <laughs> head down for the rest of the yeah. night like as he went home that's but, what you want though isn't if it? anyone's going, you've uh, a lot to look forward to. And Carl Spain was excellent in the warm-up act. Right, really, really good. Took See, a great Is he a one n- comedian, column? Carl Spain? No, well, uh, Bridges. Bridges. I T B up there, one hundred percent up there. Yeah, and also like the football angle too. You know, of course. So like that's why I'm saying to Kevin, like come on the show because we can talk about football. Yeah, I'm
0: not. Surely, uh, you mentioned Gerard Piquet there, column as well. So he said he's retired from football after his final game at the uh, New Camp this Saturday. So he's 35 years of age. He posted. Uh, a video on social media to make the uh, announcement Barca play Almeria in La Liga for his last game so in, in a statement he said I've always said that there would not be any other team after Barca and that's how it will be 600 games 30 trophies 8 La Liga titles 3 Champions Leagues 7 Copa del Reyes um, of course he was in headlines recently as well Gerard Pique. it's um it's interesting timing um
3: I have a slightly funny story about this one where last night uh, I was at the road show and Nathan was hosting and I turned to him and I was like oh PK is retired and he was like Pat Kenny?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I can oh, see
3: no. the
4: resemblance Pat will never retire
3: uh, yeah. yeah, we had like a whole conversation where he's like it's very sudden and out of the blue and I was like yeah it is and then I realised totally that we were place. talking about two totally different people <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Pat fi- he's fine folks he's not retiring never he's staying put, put. Uh, but Gerard PK is retiring um, mm. from football I think United fans
2: will remember him as the player that... Oh, he never was at United, really. You know? Was no, yeah. He never, yeah. He played. He was a lot of like League Cup games, and it was. He was f- very unfortunate to be around when Rio Ferdinand well. and Nani Village had that <laughs> sensational partnership. But he also wasn't fully developed, and he would say that himself. Like he did the overlap recently and he would carry Neville, and he said that like you know that he couldn't get into that team, and it was fair. And I don't think Fergie or Fergie very rarely played a back three, so he didn't really have a chance of getting in. But I remember being, dis- I remember being disappointed when he went back to Barcelona because yeah. you could see he had something, but like talk about making the right decision like oh my god you know yeah um, like
0: Bar- Barca have their own debts of million billion billion quid in financial mm-hmm. crisis and I'm sure they have to cut down the wage bill I don't know what wages uh, Pique is on but I'm sure yeah. he's
3: well I was reading on ESPN this morning and they said sources at Barcelona wouldn't confirm whether he was going to get any of the money that he's owed back Right. and he'd been told during the summer that he wasn't going to play that much this season because yeah. like, obviously he's like what fifth choice or something now like he's quite low down the pecking order okay. um, and that he basically I think said to them that you know he'll stick around he loves Barcelona but he wants to retire at Barcelona wants to retire at Camp Nou next season that Camp Nou undergoing all the renovations so he's not going to stick around to them even though his contract goes until like 2024 okay, I yeah, think yeah yeah <laughs> out of the Champions League now he's not going to have the opportunity to play in that you think you'd see out the league and maybe there is more to it but it's when strange, you start yeah. adding up some of the stuff I it suppose. does make a tiny bit it of sense does. It
2: does but it was so jarring to read the push notification yeah. like I sent it to you both and I was like I can't believe this and you were saying I, you felt uh, you saw it coming at base and we all kind of did but just yeah. to see someone go in November like yeah. Gary Neville did you know something similar that famous now famous West Bromwich Albion performance in the January of his last season when he went into the office the next day Tannis Ferguson said I'm done he's got to yeah. get rid of me but like he just saw the season out I was expecting that um, but obviously there's more to it here it's a financial situation like himself and uh, Busquets are owed an awful lot of money from Barcelona with deferred wages and salaries but I think Piquet was fine with that um, if it's a pure footballing reason Shabby did tell him that he wouldn't be playing very much the one reason and actually Will O'Callaghan mentioned on the show last night was the, the late signing of Jules Koundé or the late mm-hmm. registration more to the point um, probably prolonged Piquet's stay and if Kounde had signed in time and was good to go, Piquet may have announced this in the summer. And if he had done that, it would have been a very different conversation. It would have been simply a tribute to Piquet. But now that he's leaving in November, it's the suspicious Everyone's circumstances of like, what's, what's <laughs> <on>? <laughs> happening. So I do feel sorry a bit for his legacy. Not that PK he's needs any sympathy, like he's had an absolutely amazing life and won everything you could ever do. And I think he's gonna be a very successful businessman on the business side of things and he's a lot of interest in that. And I would say you'll see him back at Barcelona in a kind of administration role or Well that's the thing, he sort of owns quite
3: a lot of the rights. Doesn't he like the TV rights yeah. and stuff to Louis? And he owns get. another
2: team in Spain as well. Like, yeah. yeah, he's a busy man. Like, he's kind of the Spanish Gary Neville, isn't he?
3: <laughs> Gary Neville, yeah, yes. he does a
2: lot. Like, yes. he does an awful lot. Um, and he split from so
0: Shakira, didn't he, earlier mm. in the year? Yeah, right? he's um, he's a new partner, I think. Yeah, sorry, I'm not going to turn this into a gossip column, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like he, yeah. he might I, be I, on. Like, you know. I think if you're a footballer, at 30, 35 years of age, and as well, like Christmas coming up, you're like, do I have to do this again? Like, mm. miss out on another Christmas with the kids and the family and letting the hair down and enjoying it because fuck I mean Christmas I suppose
3: as well with the World Cup coming up he's probably going to be well he's probably not going to be sitting around I presume he's probably doing some sort yeah. of punditry or whatever but you're probably sitting around being like uh, do I want to hold out for like a month and then That's come the back thing. to play oh, yeah. and the
2: exit plan is like he's handing in his notice you know in his yeah. mind mentally at least and like even, even Neville was saying to Paul Scholes and another one of those. I'm like promoting the overlap here but anyway, <laughs> it was a great conversation with Scholes and he was saying like in Neville's last season on a trip away to Arsenal he had like architecture plans out about buildings that he wanted to invest in you know and Mm. his mind wasn't fully on football anymore and with Piquet if you're not playing he has so many other interests it kind of makes sense it's just so jarring that it's literally this weekend
3: there was another part of that ESPN piece I think it was Sam Marsden and Moyes Lorenz that said he started considering it after the 3-3 draw with Inter Milan because he like was kind of singled out for a bit of criticism yeah, during it, yeah. and like it was almost the way they set up, it was almost like there were players in front of him as defence to his defence, and he was a bit insulted by that, <laughs> I and mean, he was kind of like, "Oh, why Jeez. am I bothering anymore?"
0: Yeah, I know the effort of it. Uh, some of the comments uh, scored his Champions League debut. If you remember, that was the Romery game, was it? Remember the header? Oh, PK, uh, PK in the seven-one win. Was it? I Think so. Yeah,
2: oh, it No, it, uh, was, it was
0: away from home in Rome. All right, yeah, yeah. That, he would have played that season all six or seven. Was it a two all draw? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Dave McLean as well says, "Is it? Is it not the Spotify Camp Nou? Barça sold their soul over the last nine months." Uh, yeah, yeah, I it think is it still is the Spotify Camp Nou, isn't it? Nobody calls it that, but
3: yeah, it is Spotify right. Camp Nou. It's
2: oh, the yeah. three. this the three Olympia, isn't it?
0: Mm -hmm. oh yes yes correct Uh, here's what is coming up across the show between now and uh, 10 o'clock this morning so we'll be joining the studio very shortly by Ashley Maher the Dublin Camogie star Craig Ray the South African rugby pundit will join us to to big up South Africa and uh, take the pressure off Ireland heading into the match on Saturday at the Viva Stadium 8.35 we'll look at the sports pages Quinny will be with us at 8.50 as well to look ahead to tomorrow's test Uh, Daniel Davey nutritionist 10 past 9 extraordinary life He's got a. Uh, new book out as well he's done work with the Leinster rugby players with the Dublin footballers as well so um, really good tips with, he'll bring us as well for, for nutrition and get your diet right and then from half past nine I was with uh, Neville Southall and Ian Rush two legends uh, Merseyside legends on either side of the divide yesterday in Dublin so uh, we'll bring you that chat really interesting stuff from the lads talking about uh, the Hillsborough chance uh, Ian Rush is really really strong on that and uh, looking back at their own careers they come up against each other of course in the 89 FA Cup final the classic Liverpool 1-3-2 when Ian Rush scored two goals, so uh, loads still to come on the show between now and 10 o'clock. We can uh, uh, bring you uh, very shortly um, uh, the chat with Ashley Marr, but... Uh OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave. Magnificent Mo, You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. As I said, up next, live in studio with the St Vincents and Dublin Camogie star Ashling Maher to launch this year's AIB Camogie Club All-Ireland Championships and the AIB GA All-Ireland Club Championship. First though, here's John Giles on last night's show talking about how Spurs are actually overachieving given the players at Antonio Conte's disposal. Back in a sec.
5: In terms of where Spurs go from here, like the, the, the the other side of that is people have been critical of Conte for being overly cautious with, with some of the Spurs players that he has at
6: his disposal. Is, is that a criticism that's, that's fair to level at him? No, no, because they're not that good. You know, like if he if had the talent that, say, Liverpool had at his disposal, and you'd he say, well, the players. But the, I think he's getting more out of the players yeah. than, than, than anybody could. You know, if you look at the team, and and, and and there's some good, they're really good pros. But the attitude he has, uh, Richie, is is down to him. They're, they're, they're what they're what they third in the table. They're not that far behind the the top the top teams, or the the the, the you know uh, Manchester, sorry Manchester City, and that's uh, not that far behind. Yeah. With what? You know, I mean, if we looked at him and at his team, and and said, well, even the Arsenal team, and many first players would get into that team but obviously Harry Harry Kane would and and Solomon would but a lot of them are just ordinary good good pros and he has them good pros but he's getting the most out of them and that's all managers can do get the best players out of the players he has at his disposal.
0: Yeah, John Giles speaking there on the show last night with the lads. 7.54am on this Friday morning's 02pm. Delighted to be joined in studio now by the Dublin Camogie star and 2022 All-Star nominee as well. Ashley Maher. Morning, Ashley. How are things?
4: Hi, good morning.
0: Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you in. a lot of success for St Vincent's this year. So uh, you won the Dublin Senior Camogie Club title first time since 2019. I know it's only a few year gap, but <laughs> still nice to, to kind of grab it again after after a few years.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Feels like a longer gap when you're losing two championship Imagine. finals during that time. Covid as well, as well so. sure,
0: probably makes it feel like.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Times a bit warped, I think, for everybody. So definitely, definitely good to get back to winning ways. So fourteen, one fourteen to ten points against Nafia,
0: and uh, the guys were just saying to me, uh, like before before the show, but I'd totally forgotten this. But Brian Mullins, club legend, had, had passed away. Not long before was yeah. it that game, so that must have been quite an emotional event
4: yeah yeah, just on the way to the game uh, actually that I had heard he'd passed away so uh, definitely a bit of a, a bit of an emotional roller coaster you know obviously you're up and down before championship finals anyway trying to process everything and then to have something like that thrown in the mix is definitely a bit of a challenge so um yeah look it was something we spoke about uh, prior to the game and I, actually again at half time as well I guess we just wanted to um, kind of remember him and, and honor him in the best way that we could at that time um, obviously the last thing Brian would have wanted was matches being cancelled or anything like that. So the best thing we could do is just go out and kind of play the way he played, I guess, and and represent the club to the best of our abilities. So nice to be able to do that.
3: You certainly did it on the day as well with your scoring tally, was it twelve points you got in Uh, the Yeah, well including (laughs) including
4: Freeze, so uh, I won't take too much much credit for them.
3: (laughs) Well on one fourteen it's still pretty impressive.
4: (laughs) That's earning Highland stuff. You're the uh, Erling Haaland of the <laughs> double That's, That's a compliment. Now I don't think I've ever gotten anything that high before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Like when you get, I know it's, it's look, it's a team game, and it's maybe only after you you retire that you can kind of look back and assess and, and appreciate individual honors. But like when like I said, all star nominee this year, and little things like that, and moments. Do they mean much at the time? Is it the kind of thing you, you look back on and say, ah, oh, that that means a lot to me, or is it just one of those things where you're kind of coasting along in your career and you don't really think about it?
4: Yeah, look, it's it's always nice to get those kind of individual nods along the way, but like realistically, any of that sort of stuff, you know, it's it, there's still team awards regardless of whether or not they're giving out to an individual because without the team, you don't get there in the first place, you know, that kind of way. Regardless of whether that's say with the All Star nomination this year, two of us from the team being nominated, it's because the team made it to quarterfinals that you're given the opportunity for you know players to showcase their game a little bit more and, and get those nominations. So I was I was slagging Ash, the other forward who got nominated, saying you know the two of us are playing in the full forward line, getting nominated, we're sealing the the glory from the backs and the hard work <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah look they're always nice to get um, Like, It's funny because we were chatting to Lee Keegan and then a few lads yesterday uh, on the show Luke Connolly was on as well and they're, they're talking about the club success they've had this year and I guess trying to compare it to the county success and, and the comparisons always made but I mean how much more does it mean to, to, to win stuff it's obviously lovely to, to win games and, and, and tournaments as well with, with the dubs but when you when you do it with the people you've you've grown up with and and the community around you and St Vincent's like it, it must mean that maybe
4: a slight bit more maybe does it? Yeah, look, it's always it's lovely to get back to the club, but you know, like you said, I'm in with Vincent since I was probably four or five years of age, so like it is a it's a special feeling, you know. All the girls that I would have grown up with, gone to school with, hung around at home with, uh, are all my mates on the team, so like it is definitely very special to get back to the club. And like that, even everybody outside of the team are people who've been coaching you, mentoring you since you know you're, you're this height, so uh, it's. lovely to be able to kind of have that feeling of getting back in with everybody and yeah club is a very special one definitely.
3: And how's everyone on the team feeling heading into Leinster?
4: Yeah, there's good excitement. We had a bit of a gap. We had uh, six weeks between the uh, Dublin Championship final and first round of Leinster. Right. So, yeah, that's this probably, weekend you're
3: playing Thomastown.
4: Uh, the following, weekend, following Saturday weekend. week, yeah, okay. the twelfth. so getting towards the latter stages of six weeks now. Thankfully, because uh-huh. it's uh, it's long enough, like to keep it going for you know. And you kind of you can't keep energy and momentum and everything up yeah. at ninety for six weeks. So, to be fair to management, I think they've done a good job of you know letting us come down for a little bit. But then you have the effort of trying to push it back up again so yeah look I think we're I think we're going well looking forward to actually just getting out on the pitch now kind of starting to get impatient in the last week yeah, if anything
3: Do you have any games in between times like even just friendly sort of ones to kind of keep you in that game mentality because as you say if you're just training for six weeks that's really hard to yeah. get yourself like game sharp
4: Yeah absolutely no we, we did thankfully I think you'd need to like you, mm. couldn't, you couldn't keep the momentum going just with training I don't think for that long so yeah no thankfully we've managed to play kind of close enough to a challenge game Game a week at this race, whether they're kind of in-house or colleges or other club teams that are still going. You know, you're kind of just uh, taking games off anyone you can get this time of year. Exactly.
0: Ashley, will you settle the debate for us? Is it a hurl or hurly? <laughs> Paddy Stapleton on the show yesterday, and he's he's written a couple of children's books, um, and he's actually he's given the title. He's he's done both, like he's printed both because he knows it's a controversial topic. I think we put a poll up. The other day and it was fairly fairly split down the middle. Split. I think it's a geographical thing, but like, what did you call yeah, it growing I think up? Yeah, it's
4: geographical as well, and it was funny because I was in at the the launch for the club championships at AIB were hosting the other day, and even like the the guys on set were saying, hey, "Do you want me to call it a hurley? Do you want me to call it a hurley?" <laughs> and I was saying, "I always call it a hurl but like so Jesse Hutchinson, I. I know, was chatting to you guys and he was in there and he was like, "Absolutely not! Like, it's a hurley." <laughs> yeah, all the uh, lads
0: in Monster call it a hurley. Yeah,
4: now some people get very offended. I wouldn't get offended either way, but I would I would call it a hurl. I'd have to, to I'd call have to. A to go
0: <laughs> He's, the cockman in, in the box there already sent him here. It's a hurley. <laughs> uh, so a bad? Per- uh, that's a bad accent. But, but it's a hurl, I
3: think.
4: Uh, I think it, it's a hurl as well. He's not here, so we'll exactly. Run
3: yeah. run <laughs> I say a hurl her. as well. So that's you three. call it a hurl? Yeah, oh, no, three
4: <laughs> out of three 100 percent. Sorry.
0: Uh, like it was the cutest thing ever. Paddy brought in his his first hurl slash hurley, which was like the temporary colours on it, and I mean the thing must have been about this size. Like, it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life, and uh, he brought it in and he was talking about the process of. Getting your first hurl and like the way the hurl is made and like it, it as I said to him, it reminded me of Harry Potter, like going into mm. the wand shop and getting. And your he first said wand. it was
3: like going into Santa's workshop. Yeah, I was <laughs> like,
0: this is amazing. <laughs> do you remember remember getting your first hurl was it not that magical a moment for you or was it one of those things where you remember picking up a a hurl slash hurley for the first time
4: well I actually do remember it but for slightly different reasons because my parents obviously weren't as sentimental as Paddy's were what I remember is getting like a size 28 hurl a 28 inch hurl when I started playing and I was only about 5 and it was (laughs) definitely because my parents were like ah you'll grow into it we're not buying a new one of them every couple of months it's a hurl (laughs) so I remember finding it only a few years ago like and I use a size 32 now and I'm a little bit taller than I was when I was oh, five. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, what was the crack with that? And I was like, ah, oh, we're updating school uniforms and boots and everything else. Didn't need another thing that was going to be too small for you every yeah. few minutes. So
3: Didn't work out too bad in the end. <laughs>
4: yeah, maybe that, maybe that's the trick.
0: <laughs> it probably is important because I guess you have to, even Paddy was talking about the fact that, I, don't, I can't remember what size of Hurley he has, maybe 35, Or but he was saying like it's probably slightly bigger than he needs it, but he's a couple of times in matches as a cornerback as a hooked someone just mm-hmm. as in just had enough length in the hurl to, to do it so it's one of those things you need to kind of you need to be comfortable with the weight and the size of it and the boss and everything but you ha- like nobody really thinks about it outside the game but I'm sure within the game you have to, you have to get it right sorry yes. I'm obsessing over it now because <laughs> he was talking about the sawdust and everything but it was just he made it sound magical the whole hurl making process but also yeah. the process of picking your
4: yeah, right yeah, one. yeah. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's getting more and more individual, definitely within Camogie I can see it now, like in terms of like you're saying, he's using one that's probably a little bit too long. That's very I think specific to kind of full back line because obviously hooking and blocking is so important. Whereas like I play the full forward line it's probably the opposite of anything. Like a size thirty two is probably a couple of inches too short for me. Yes. Like if I try to hit the ball on the ground, there's probably a good chance of fresh air at nine times out of ten, <laughs> it's just that bit short. But at the same time I'm doing the opposite. I'm trying not to get hooked or I'm using a using a short grip. More often than not, so it kind of suits me to have a lighter hurl that I can manoeuvre more easily, yeah. theoretically. Anyway,
0: <laughs> you uh, you're, you're a member of the the Gale Players Association LGBTQ plus working group, mm-hmm. um, and and look, you've you've spoken very eloquently in recent past about uh, male intercounty players, especially trying to come out publicly, and and we we just haven't had a level of of players coming out, in certainly in the male game. Anyway, like, do you think we're heading in the right direction in terms of players? feeling comfortable coming out and and being open about that.
4: Yeah, look, I definitely think we're heading in the right direction. and I think even the establishment to this LGBTQ plus working group by the GPA is a big step in the right direction because you know you're opening the door, you're having conversations, you're creating that safe space within GAA as a wider family um, where people can talk and you know have these discussions and hopefully eventually start to feel more welcome. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that's something that the GPA have done really well in terms of like you know we hosted a, a Pride breakfast this year before uh, the parade was on over Pride weekend and it just creates a space where, you know, allies can come down, straight people can come down and it doesn't have to be isolated to, you know, if I if I go to this event, maybe yes. it's gonna people are gonna assume that I'm questioning my sexuality. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, sometimes that's half the battle is to create somewhere that everybody can come together and people can feel, you know, I'm safe, nobody's looking at me, nobody's wondering what I'm thinking or nobody's, you know, suspicious of me or whatever it might be. So I think the GPA have done great work in that space and I, I hope that it begins to kinda take off now over the next couple of years and spread throughout the GAA and um, um, and yeah, hopefully over time we can create an environment that's that's more welcoming.
3: Apart from just like speaking out, and obviously you do quite a lot of media and you talk about it, what other stuff are the working group doing to reach out to clubs and reach out to, because I suppose one side of it is that you see these people in the media, you see them represented and you think, oh, that could be me, but also that kind of getting down to people's level and like the more grassroots element of it is probably quite important too.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, One of the things we did at the start that like I thought was, you know, I was quite proud of, I thought was a great idea was just to go out and do a survey. And it was of inter-county players now at the time. But, you know, it's so hard to talk about these things when we don't have data and you can sit here and you can hypothesise about this and hypothesise about that. But, you know, by going out and actually asking people and uh, you know, having those conversations with players you know, in an anonymous or confidential manner at first say to allow people to Say well, yeah, I do know people on my team who are out or who are gay, both in the male game and the female game. Then you know w- what I learned from that. First and foremost, was that you know there are male players who are out within their teams, which is fantastic because it means that they feel comfortable talking to their teammates and, and and talking to their friends and their teams. But also, you know, look, it's 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 not anybody's obligation to come out publicly or to speak publicly about their sexuality if they want to. Fantastic. If they don't want it, that's their decision. But. I do think we have to question ourselves as, you know, an organisation and as, as a wider family. Is there more that we could be doing to make them feel comfortable coming out? And, and you know, what are the reasons that, that all of those male players are choosing to keep their sexuality quiet or within their team or their friend group? And uh, I think that, you know, that's education basically in that way is a bit, is a big piece of what we're doing and and yes exactly as you said you know the more we can we can gather information and educate clubs and uh, and smaller groups then i would hope that you know in turn kids going up will have will have better experiences
0: yeah even you mentioned the fact that stats like we, we can see from surveys and like the survey earlier this year like those stats are mad like, the gps committee yourselves found that 69% of female players are aware of an lgbtq plus teammate compared to just 10% of male players i mm-hmm. like that's a That's a mad divide.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's a huge difference, but, you know, like to be honest with you, I was surprised it was 10% of male players. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I kind of thought it would be lower. Yeah, um, And, like, I, I do think that, you know, there's so much that we talk about that the GAA are ahead of Camogie and are ahead of the LGFA, and I do think this is one of the areas where LGFA and Camogie probably have a bit of an edge on, on the GAA. And, you know, I, I guess we have to look at, at why that is as well to be able to move forward, you know. Um, and, and there probably is an element of the GAA. Now, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of, of men, but for I could imagine for a lot of GAA and hurling teams, you know, there's such a an expectation and a reputation of being, you know, this kind of stereotypically masculine and strong, and 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 I don't think that we've opened that space to allow men to, you know, maybe fully be their authentic selves or express themselves in that
3: way. And it's across sports as well. Like it's not just a problem within the GAA. You know, we look at rugby, football, like it's everywhere. And even I thought. I think it's a sort of situation where it's not even something that's limited to say if there is a high-profile GA player who comes out. That's not only going to affect just GA players. Mm -hmm. That's going to also affect like other people, like other kids that love rugby. They're still going to see someone in the paper every day and be like, ah. he's okay talking about this I could be okay talking about it too I thought it was great like the few Leinster lads that have spoken out publicly about that like I was really surprised that that happened I didn't expect it at all but fair play to them for doing it and if we had as you say no one ever has to come out no one ever has to expose themselves in that way if they don't want to but it would just be so great for us as a country to have that conversation a bit more in that sphere because we do have it so much on the women's side mm-hmm. and it's not perfect by any means but there's definitely more of that base there
4: yeah absolutely um and you know the same thing with the the guys over in the UK playing soccer who came out Jake Daniels and them you know i yeah. think you know i would like to think that the support that's shown to them. And, you know, it was a vastly positive reaction that was had. There was a couple of things that that were upsetting, though, at the time. Like, I know, when I think when Jake Daniels posted initially, the comments were turned off on the original post, which, you know, is unfortunately... It's, it's sad to see, but yeah. I, I could completely understand why it was Absolutely. done, because you just don't want to open yourself to that negative backlash. But I guess given that level of protection that was put in, it was nice to see then that, you know, so much of the response to it was so positive and that there was uh, so many organisations across the UK, particularly obviously soccer clubs and stuff, who very vocally supported him and supported his decision, because exactly as you said, you know, you can imagine if you're if you're a young, a young guy playing any sport with the aspirations to play at a high level or play professionally, um, it has to be very very, you know, comforting and reassuring to see these big organisations just just step up and, and to publicly state, you know, rather than saying, oh, well, it's assumed, to actually make a point to say, we are supportive of this and we are an open and inclusive environment.
0: Because every so often you see some absolutely crazy comments, like the the priest in the stole this week coming out with comments about transgenderism and homosexuality and teenagers' using condoms like every so often you'll get just crazy stuff like that that, that's, that sets people back but also I think the reaction has been fairly positive in in its condemning of comments like that
4: mm-hmm. yeah um, and it's hard to see as well like you know like how are we still giving platforms to these yeah. people yeah. In, in, in one way like it, it boggles the mind and um, yeah look it's, it's, it's a difficult one to, to kind of Get your head around, and it's a difficult one even to comment on because I kind of went back and forward on it a little bit, you know. Do you do you do you come out and condemn something? Do you that's, even talk about it? Yeah, you, yeah, 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 exactly. That's that's so obviously terrible. Or do you, do you even bother giving them oxygen? Like, you know, why are we why are we covering something that it seems so archaic? But unfortunately, at the same time, it is it's very representative of. of a lot of the the views of the Catholic Church, yeah. at least on paper or in theory, so we probably do have to discuss it to an extent because you know you'd you'd nearly wonder how many people are you know are religious and attend mass every week and and don't don't agree with you know the things he's saying that are maybe against abortion or as you said teenagers using condoms or whether it's homosexuality. Um, so I guess from an awareness perspective, a it's 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 good to highlight that, and mm. and, and b it's probably good to show that you know um like yeah okay we've passed gay marriage referendums and and that's fantastic to be one of the first countries to to pass that by popular vote but at the same time that that doesn't fix everything you know that's not a that's not a, a, a we're done now we can we can forget about this and move on kind of so i think it's good to highlight that there probably is still a lot of work that needs to be done and and still people who you know think they can go go out and and, and preach these kind of you know hate speech really and, and ridiculous perspectives so um yeah Finding the balance there, I guess.
3: Can I
0: just ask you very finally, um, Ashley? Just like the the news that that came about, Adrian O'Sullivan, the Dublin Camogie Manager, leaving his his role uh, announced it I think on social media. So he's he's two years I think into his three year contract, um, and like he's referenced the application of the rules as as one of his reasons for, for stepping aside. But this. Did this come as a surprise to, to yourself and the, the other players.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was a surprise. Um, ah, look, you know anybody who, who who manages, who coaches in the GAA is is, is giving up a huge amount of time, um, and you know they're a volunteer at the end of the day. Like they put so many hours into it. So, look, it's it's disappointing to see somebody somebody walk away early from from a from a contract like that. But. Um, you know i think it's it's difficult maybe for us because we've had so much change in management in dublin camogie you know over i think i'm 10 years involved at this stage and we've had like eight or nine managers in that time or something so um it's difficult to kind of break that continuity again and from a player's perspective i suppose that surprise kind of makes it that little bit more challenging but mm. um, at the end of the day you know like i said it's, it's it's a volunteer thing and 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 adrian has a has a life and a job and a family and everything outside of that so look you know i i i, uh, I respect his decision and if ultimately, if he if he can't commit to it and his head's not there, then you have to you have to respect his decision at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Fair enough, absolutely. I think great stuff. Thanks, William, for coming in and, uh, and for settling the hurl hurly debate as well. I think that's, that's <laughs> really important. Put to bed now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People just don't don't even don't even comment. Don't even put it in the YouTube comments. I don't care. It's hurl. Uh, and best of luck listening in the in the Leinster Championship as well with with Vincent's and for the year going forward. No doubt we'll we'll touch base again over the, the coming months. Uh, so a reminder: AIB proud sponsors of both club and county. Proud to launch this year's AIB Camogie Club All Ireland Championships and the AIB GA All Ireland Club Championships. AIB is honoured to be entering their 10th season backing the AIB Camogie Club All-Ireland Championships and the 32nd year of supporting the AIB GA All-Ireland Club Championships. This year we'll see AIB celebrating the toughest players of all those who keep going and persevere no matter how tough it gets. Now during the ad break you'll hear our own Adrian Barry speaking with the ex-Irish rugby international Gordon Darcy and GA referee David Goff about the challenges faced on the field. It's brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Back after the break with the writer and broadcaster Craig Ray previewing the South African side of things ahead of tomorrow's massive game against the Springboks in Dublin. See you in a sec. OTB 8.15am on this Friday morning's OTPAM and uh, that great chat with Ashton, you can get that in podcast as well in all the usual places, watch it back on on uh, YouTube as well. But it is time to uh, take a further look ahead to tomorrow's big test against the Springboks at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin half past five. Uh, delighted to be joined on the line this morning by Craig Raley, South African rugby pundit. Morning Craig, how are things? Good, Hi uh, Shane, good and you? Absolutely, keeping well, keeping well. A little bit nervous for tomorrow. We had um, our own uh, South African Stephen Kisby Green in the, in the studio with us yesterday and he, he was saying South Africa by six, so he's really, really set the bar now for South Africa and made ireland uh, underdogs. Um, are you going to do the same with us this morning? Or are you going to really, uh, really
7: no. <laughs> push it? No way, no way Ireland are underdogs in this one. Uh, the Springboks have been too inconsistent and erratic this season. I mean, they're good enough to beat Ireland. But uh, they also, you know, Ireland are good enough to beat the Springboks. So I know that sounds like fence-sitting, but with the home ground advantage, I think it fit Johnny Sexton. I uh, see Hugo Keenan did make it through. I heard there was an injury card earlier about Hugo Keenan. So I just think the Irish pack is good enough to at least neutralize the Springbok pack. And, um, you yeah, know, with Sexton pushing them around the park, I, I think they have to start as favorites. But it's going to be narrow. I, I don't think it's going to be 38-3 or whatever it was <laughs> in 2017. <laughs> Uh, like, how much, Craig? Do we
0: do we read into the result of this game? Either way, I, we, it remains to be seen what the score would be. But in terms of the fact that we're in the same World Cup pool, like, is there a, an element of shadow boxing about this match, or is it a case of look, that's that's far into the, the future and not that far into the future? But there's an element of just get this game over with and then focus on the World Cup. Or how, how do you how do you see that element of it?
7: Yeah, I th- look. I think both sides want to win, right? It's a it's a massive test. I don't think it's about world ranking. I really don't think anyone's thinking about who's going to be number one at the end of this year. Uh, and, and there is, a, I think, a psychological blow to be landed here, uh, especially if the Springboks win in Dublin. Um, that you know they haven't done that since 2012. Okay, they've only played um, you know two more times in that in 2014 and 17. But still. It's, uh, it would be a big blow because it, it would sit at the back of the mind. I mean, if you go back to 2018 and 19, the Springboks made it a priority to beat the All Blacks in New Zealand uh, for no other reason than to build their own self-belief. And um, and I think that will be the same case. yeah. If they can beat Ireland in Dublin, then there's no reason why they can't beat Ireland in France next year
0: like I, I remember the the comments from the famous infamous comments from J- Jake white uh, before the tests in in November two thousand and four. Not one single Irish player would make the South African starting fifteen and then of course the three days before the the Irish team went on to win that game like if you if you, if you look at the matchups on the field like wh- how dominant do you think either side can be in in, in terms of areas of the pitch because we, we we've got the teams now, so it's an element of matchups, and um I guess seeing where. Like if you're from a South African
7: perspective, where on the Irish team are you targeting? Well, just van der Flyer, I mean, you know, if you can neutralize him or at least um, reduce his influence on the game uh, around the breakdown, then you're going to, you know, you're going to have a, a better afternoon, aren't you? Um, their line out, James Ryan, Tyke Byrne, I mean, fantastic. So when you look at those, those packs, there's, there's very little in it. Um, and, it's going to be a case of maybe just winning one or two moments, poaching a line out here, um, winning a breakdown there, um, and 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 I think that's going to be the real key battle as it usually is. Um, I'm not sure what the weather's going to be tomorrow, but <laughs> in my experience of going to Dublin about five times for matches, it's never dry. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah so the Springbok back three is quite interesting with Chesn Colby, Kurtley Irons. So, uh, okay, Makazole pimpys established there, um, but. You know, Colby and Orange are steppers and runners. Um, and it's quite curious how the Springboks are going to deploy them tomorrow in what is likely to be difficult conditions with Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray raining down bombs on them. Uh, not that those guys can't handle it. So I think the little matchups are how Colby and Orens in particular handle the aerial onslaught, how the Springboks can neutralize Van der Flyer and Omani over the ball, and... Um, and, you know, and, and in the lineouts whether the Diaga and Elizabeth can poach a couple from, from Ryan and Byrne. So, you know, the scrums, again, the Springboks pride themselves in that area of the game. They've probably starting with their strongest front row with Malhaber, Kutsov, and Marks. Uh, although there is a theory that Bongi and Ben-Han-Bi is a better scrummager than Malcolm Marks, but of course Marks brings breakdown energy as well. Um, So it's really, I mean, it's a long waffle, I suppose, but it's really difficult to see. So I think it's going to come down to those key areas that it always does and who just manages it better on the day. One or two moments can change this game. And of course, we always have the the other factor, TMOs and referees (laughs) and interpretations, which you never know how it's going to go.
3: Do you think this match would have a different psychological impact on either side if it was coming towards the end of the series rather than at the start? Because it kind of feels like everyone's bringing it up and talking about it as like the match up for both teams. But the fact that it's like the first match, there's still other ones coming. Like it's Fiji and then Australia for us. Mm. Is there enough space there for I suppose teams to limit the psychological impact? If say Ireland do lose tomorrow, is there enough space there for them to say, okay, right? Regroup. Let's go on. Or the same for South Africa?
7: Yeah, I think Ireland haven't been together in quite a while uh, since July, um, whereas the Springboks have had a whole rugby championship. So Ireland definitely probably starting a little rustier than the Springboks in this one. Um, So, yeah, they might look at it that way. Well, if they lose this one, it's how they um, develop through the the, the Autumn Internationals. From a Springbok point of view, their stated goal has been to win all the tests on this tour. Uh, So to achieve that, of course, you have to beat Ireland. So it will be a setback if they don't win. Um, they never said it's going to be easy, or they expect to win, or anything like that. But they, their goal, and it has to be, is to win four out of four in this tour. And it's a tough tour. You got France to come, and England at the end of it, outside of the outside of the uh, uh, world rugby window, so they won't be at full strength for that match. So, um you know, I think if they're going to lose one, or if the one, one that would be acceptable to lose, it would be to England at the end of it because of what I've just pointed out. So, I think the Springboks have put a lot of eggs in this basket, and the fact that they've gone. Absolutely full strength for this with a couple of tweaks with Colby at fullback, which is, uh, you know, I think it's a a Ninabe Rasmus um, plan that maybe we don't quite fully understand yet. Um, it, It tells you everything you need to know. The Springbok side has been set up with the best possible opportunity to win this match.
0: You mentioned Colby at, um, at fullback there, Craig, for the first time, and and his previous twenty caps have come on the wing. So like, and, and yet it's been mooted that this might happen for for quite some time. And of course, it gives uh, Kirkley Allan to the Bulls um, player a bit of a chance to push on in the right wing. I mean, was there surprise at uh, this decision to play Chess and Colby and at, at at fullback, or has it been been received, I guess, with with no surprise in, in South Africa as as something that has been kind of coming down the pipeline a bit?
7: Yeah, I mean, look. He started his career as a fullback at the Stormers in Western Province. Uh, he's played a lot of fullback uh, in France in club rugby, and in the modern game, the fullbacks and the wings are quite interchangeable in many ways, especially defensively, where one falls back to take the high ball and and or support each other. Um, so I think we will see a, a, a lot of the switching. And also, I think what it it's a message it's sending is Kurtley Iringa has done enough to keep that right wing place. Mm. And Cheslin Colby has got to fight for it. And this is probably his way back to fight for it. So, you know, I think it says a lot about Orens' performances. And I don't know how many of uh, your viewers would have watched um, his performance against the All Blacks in Nelspray in the rugby championship. But it was one of the exceptional performances of the season. And, uh, you know, he, he gets off the ground. He gets high off the ground, even though he's not a huge man. So dealing with aerial threat is not really a problem because he's so explosive and he's got great feet. But again, those were very different conditions, uh, you know, good weather to use your feet and to move. So they're going to face a different challenge. But I think it's also part of the Springbok strategy is to expose these guys to what they might experience in September and October in France next year.
0: We saw the South African team up on screen for for our viewers there a moment ago, but um, like when you look at that centre partnership as well, Damien De Allende is a player a lot of people in Ireland will know up from his time with uh, with Munster, uh, and Jesse Creel as well is an interesting one. Um, like that centre partnership is uh, fairly, it's very
7: intimidating from an Irish perspective. Yeah, look, Jesse Creel is not Lucano Am on attack. Mm. I think we can all accept that. Um, Lucanio Am is missed in the side, but. It's interesting that in um, you know the 40-odd tests since Ninaba and Erasmus returned in 2018, either Creel or Amos started at fullback out of 30, out of all of them bar one. Uh, so started at outside centers, excuse me, all of them bar one, which was against Canada at the World Cup when De Linde started there. So uh, yeah, Creel's got a lot of experience. He's the general on defense. He will marshal the defense. He's a physical guy. He's pretty quick. He doesn't have the subtle hands or the feet of <clears throat> Lucanyo Am, but he is there to shore up the defence uh, for the Springboks. And I guess what in what we know is going to be a tight test match. That's priority number one. Um, and De linda you know, he's got good hands and a great pass of the ball, but you don't see that a lot in the Springboks setup. Um, but the box have actually evolved their game a little bit this season. They've certainly looked to move the ball a lot more. They haven't always been accurate or clinical, but. Uh, even the games they lost to Australia, they spent an inordinate amount of time in Australia's uh, red zone and couldn't put it away. And it's something they've been working towards. And a big factor in that, of course, is the influence of Damien So who's come in and done so well this season. He's such a playmaker. Uh, now he's moved to 10. He started the season at fullback, played 12, 13. And, um, you know, that's going to be an interesting matchup, too, because... Um, I don't think the Irish have really seen Damien Willems in this kind of form and confidence. Mm. And it will be interesting to see how he approaches this game because, of course, it's going to be a tactical battle in in probably uh, wet conditions. But he's he's also the kind of guy that is always looking for the opportunity to attack, which is maybe not what we've become used to in the Springbok DNA over the last two seasons. Do you think it's quite... um
0: we often talk in, in media about the, the size of the South African pack and the size of the South African team generally and the bomb squad and the, the customary but intimidating 6-2 split on the bench as well, Craig. like, Is it almost at a point where it's lazy that we, we just kind of pigeonhole South Africa as just this, they're just this big physical team? They have other attributes, but that seems to be the one that we all zone in on before the game's against them.
7: Oh, look, there's no getting away that they're physical, big. I mean, big's. Really, I mean, the Irish side's big. I mean, mm. actually, the Springboks side, when you when they do pack weights, they're often lighter than their opposition. Um, so you know, big. You know, that doesn't really matter. They're all big, aren't they? I mean, anyone who's <laughs> stayed at six foot seven or whatever, <laughs> they're, they're, they're big people. Um, where the Springboks do probably uh, people don't see them as as ball players, but if you watched Eben Ezebeth's form, Lurt de Jagger's form this season. The two of them in running off shoulders, taking short passes, getting through holes, popping passes. There's definitely a, a, a change, and it's not always that accurate. But there's definitely a switch in the way the Springboks are playing. Um, you might not see too much of that tomorrow. The conditions might dictate something else. But it's, there's certainly um, they they better ball players than you than you probably give them credit for. And among that six-two split, the bomb squad. In fact, they've got two small sticks of dynamite in Dion and Cocker smith uh, <laughs> among the forwards. Both those guys are, are under six foot tall and they're just dynamic, explosive runners and hard on the ground. So the Springbok game plan you can see in the final quarter is to dominate the breakdown battles, to dominate the carry of those two explosive runners. Um, and so it's going to be an interesting last 20, I think, in this match.
3: Do you think that slight change towards like, not even moving away from the physical but I suppose giving South Africa that extra element when it comes to the runners and stuff, is that in preparation for the World Cup where they're kind of starting to bring it into the game now in the hope that when the World Cup does roll around, they have something extra that will push them through to the final?
7: Yeah, they had to evolve their game, didn't they? You can't, you can't go four years of kicking and mauling and expect that opposition aren't going to find ways around it. Um, so they've had to grow their game and that was always part of the plan. You, you know, I, I suppose you remember they all missed 2020 as well because the Springboks did not play a match uh, during the height of COVID. Uh, so their development took a took a setback. I think the idea was to use 2020 and, uh, as a real growth season with the view to the British and Irish Lions. But then, of course, they didn't play. 2021 came. It was all about just beating the Lions. We have to beat them. It doesn't matter how. Uh, and we won't go into that because uh, that's, uh, we all know what happened there with Rossi uh and, and so once that was done then they could start going okay well let's try and add some layers and we saw some of that in last year's rugby championship but I don't know if you remember the Cunningham's beautiful around the back pass uh, to set up their Lenders try and and we've seen a lot more of that um, they'd probably be a bit further along the line in this this sort of change of tack had they had the extra season um, and yes uh, yeah, France Obviously, they're playing a few games down in Marseille. Even in September, October, the conditions are likely to be quite conducive to good ball-in-hand rugby. So I think the Springboks are certainly trying to round their game and not just be a one-trick pony because people have caught up, people have caught on, and are matching them in that aspect of the game. So they need to find something else.
0: Some nice comments coming in uh, on the YouTube channel, Craig. People uh, praising your your analysis. I think the Irish are sweetening you up ahead of ahead of the match tomorrow. a uh, Comment from a South African as well. Bach pack is smaller than the French and English, and sometimes New Zealand people overstate our size in the pack. Uh, says LB on YouTube. Um, finally, uh, Craig, I don't know what you make of the the jersey situation. I don't know if you've heard the bit of a controversy controversy over here in terms of the similarity in the jerseys for the game um, could cause absolute I, I, I heard cottage.
7: it, but I thought they would someone would have to wear white surely or or some whatever well I I don't know if the Springboks have packed their with them but um, um, I hope sense prevails because that would be height of amateur if they both go out there looking almost identical Um, and we've seen that so many times certainly in the super rugby days we saw that and it used to drive me nuts Um, and, you know, it just shouldn't be happening at this level. So hopefully Sense prevails. I mean, traditionally the home side in rugby wears their waist strip when there's a clash, don't they? So that's always been sort of rugby's way of doing it where it obviously works the other way in football. Um, I don't really mind who wears what, just as long as it doesn't clash.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as you say, hopefully Sense does prevail. Craig, uh, score prediction or uh, who's going to win and by how much?
7: <laughs> I'm going to go with my heart on this one, not fully with my head. I think Springbok's are are desperate enough and when, they, when they're when on they're good enough to beat anyone in the world and I don't know if they're going to be on tomorrow so I'm going to give them a win by something around 23-19, 23-20 something like that.
0: Right, okay. So the two South Africans we found on this week so far both predicted a Springbok win. Shocking that.
7: Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a surprise. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Craig, uh, listen, enjoy the match. Thanks a million for your, for your time as always. It was a be Thanks a lot. It was nice to be on. Thanks Shane. Thanks Kathleen. That is uh, Craig Ray the broadcaster writer and South African rugby pundit great stuff from him as always Right, a reminder that Braeburn Coffee Oh, I better not damage my mic <laughs> when I do it I love the coffee so much that I'm going to damage the mic to show it off uh, is the official coffee partner of OTB is Braeburn Coffee each week we're giving one lucky viewer a 100 euro voucher to spend on some Braeburn Coffee goodness at an apple green store near you to enter check out at off the ball on Twitter just like and retweet our Braeburn Competition post and you are in the draw Braeburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on the Go coffee experience on the road. Available at app Apple Green today. Now, Kathleen, this uh, news broke yesterday. UEFA's new competition proposed for the international women's game. So, uh, like we had a famous moment, infamous moment, in off the ball when Kevin Coban tried to describe the permutations when the uh, the UEFA Nations League came through for the for the men's game. So, what is going on here, and what will it mean for the Republic of Ireland? Most importantly,
3: uh, well, it's not the best news for the Republic of Ireland. Right. starting out, that's a bad start. Okay. No, it's not a good start. Um, it's basically, it's essentially the exact same setup as the men. So there's not really any difference. Uh, we're going to be in League B, so we're going to be in the middle of everything. Which Vera Pau has been very, very adamant since this whole idea was put forward that she didn't want a Nations League, she didn't want to be in League B. Her whole thing is that if you're in League A, you already have the money, and if you're in League C, you're going to get the funding and you're going to get the extra cash to kind of progress you. So where does that? leave us in the middle, it's almost kind of like the middle child of the whole thing <laughs> um, and it's really interesting like uh, this was not expected to come so soon, like it had been talked about but everyone kind of expected it was going to come for a while because FIFA has been planning this massive global calendar for women's sport, for, or for women's football for a while now and that is still only at like the consultation phase I think. So everyone was like why is UEFA coming out with this major change to its qualification process for the Euros and the World Cup and the Olympics mm-hmm. ahead of FIFA trying to organize the calendar. Um it's going to really increase the amount of games international teams have to play. Uh, I think max we would have had to play to get to the World Cup, say, was 12 if we had gone to the playoffs in February. In the end, we played 10. Under this new system, we'll have to play 18 games to qualify. So that, like, eight games extra is quite a lot lot, in a year. Um, And I saw uh, Tom Gary in the Telegraph. He had a piece saying that Major clubs and leagues around Europe were really annoyed about this announcement yesterday. They didn't know it was coming. They had already like messaged or emailed UEFA, whatever it was, to express that they were really worried about players being burned out because of this new system. I do understand some of the benefits of bringing it in. In the sense, you know, you look at England beating Latvia twenty nil that sort of stuff shouldn't be happening. Mm. You shouldn't have those sort of score lines. You shouldn't have England. I think they qualified for the World Cup with 80 goals in 10 matches. So that's like an average of eight goals a match. You don't want that sort of matchups happening. But there is also the other side of, well, like, take the Irish example. Vera Powell has consistently said, we've got to where we are because we play teams like Australia and Sweden and we put ourselves up against that is this system going to limit that a little bit and is that going to then limit the quality that we're able to achieve because if you're adding eight extra qualifying games there's not going to be as much space there as well for players to play internationals there's not going to be as much space for them to do fr- like international friendlies or like camps or whatever it might be so i i have a lot of question marks around it right. um i don't think it was all that well Laid out by UEFA and the fact that it seems to have taken everyone by surprise. I don't know if it's going to get that much buying. I know people don't really have a choice. Like it's there now. We're going to have to deal Mm. with it. But just in terms of, I always think with the women's game, like we've seen all the issues on the men's side. We've seen all the ways it's gone in terms of like your PSGs with their money or whether it's like the international schedule with the World Cup this year and managers complaining about burnout constantly there's such a good opportunity and a clean slate on the women's side to avoid all those issues and instead they just seem to kind of be following the same pattern and it's quite frustrating to watch from the outside because you're like well, why, why do we want to put players at risk of burnout? Like say even Vivian Miedema it was announced this week is not going to this international camp and Arsenal are also giving her a break from the club because she hasn't had a break in so long between international tournaments and club football. And those are players that are playing a lot less matches than, say, someone in the Premier League. So, what what does this new schedule say about that?
0: Yeah. And, like, Vera Powell didn't hide her opposition to it in, in, before this was even confirmed. Like, she went as far as saying this is detrimental to the women's game. So, when you're hearing comments like that, you're like, well, why are we pressing ahead with this?
3: Yeah. And I, I do understand it. Like, I've follow quite a lot of the English journalists and they were talking about it from the perspective of, you know, a big footballing nation like England just won the Euros and there were they were a lot more positive about it. And it was I was talking to a couple of them about the Irish side of it and they were kind of like, oh, we never even considered that. From we just saw these massive score lines and thought, well, something needs to change. And I've said for a long time that something needs to change. I don't deny that, but I've always been cautious about the Nations League format because Mm. I do think it leaves countries who are kind of in the middle in a really rough place, and it just makes qualifications so much harder for international tournaments as well, and if you're the sort of country that is at that sort of like middle stage so say Ireland are at, like we can't say we're at the top we can't say we're at the bottom we are at a middle stage yes but we want to progress on how are we supposed to do that under this new structure how are we supposed to push into the higher one because it's going to be so hard to get up there and the way you push on in the current format is you make it to international tournaments you make it to world cups or euros so yeah, I I'm intrigued to see how it plays out. I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, Vera Powell has to say about it. I no, yeah. yeah. Well they're I think they're going into camp on Monday and then they're playing Morocco in a friendly um on the fourteenth. So I'm sure at some stage next week we'll hear her thoughts on it quite extensively.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like I wonder I I know there was so much opposition when the nation well, a lot of opposition when the Nations League was mooted first for the men's game. And then people kind of slowly maybe came around to it and they 're like, "Well, this is better than friendlies, but as you say that's that 's a lot more games in the year like
3: yeah, and it's it's different as well on the women 's yeah. side because like the friendlies are only really starting to mean something, and they 're only really starting to like attract <laughs> as much attention as they probably are already had on the men 's side um." You know, We've talked about it so much ahead of the World Cup next year. We'd love to see England or someone of that ilk come over here and have that big, massive friendly. We've never really had that level of a friendly here. It, and it's not something anyone has actually really been crying out for all that much. Um And uh, I think if it was like two or three extra games in a year, you'd be like, OK, that's fair enough. It's just the fact that it could be up to eight. Like, that's a lot of extra playing time even when you take in friendly windows Um, so yeah I'm very sceptical of how it's going to play out because I think if the only benefit to this is that we're not having score lines of 20-0 then that's not really a good enough reason to do it
0: You've filled me with pessimism for the Nations League.
3: I'm the, sorry, Shane. Okay. I feel like I do this every time we're on air together. Happy <laughs> Friday,
0: folks. Enjoy the Women's nation, uh, Nations League. Uh, and finally, Kathleen, on that, just Shelburne playing at loan on Sunday in the Cup Final at three o'clock. Um, like we, we've previewed the game with, with Alex and the Shelburne player, on the show this week and looked ahead a bit. Uh, and Shelburne, of course, looking to, to complete a double, but should be a good game.
3: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think... Athlone have been so interesting this season they're very much the dark horse of the year and they're difficult to play against they're one of those like Shelburne definitely have the the better squad but the thing that Athlone do really well is they're tricky to play against they they Put themselves in awkward positions. They're very much a bodies on the line sort of team, so I think it's going to be good. Uh, Shelburne have also. Been, I know Alex Kavanaugh said they hadn't been celebrating all that much, but there is always that slight. You know, you just won the league. Yeah, there's a bit yeah. of a come down from that as well when you're not able to properly. Even
0: if you have get, a party, just not just in your psychological.
3: Yeah, because you've aimed for something all season, and obviously it came down to the final day as well. So it wasn't like they had a bit of a run into the whole thing. Uh, so I think there's definitely an opportunity for Athlone to do something really interesting interesting. interesting at the weekend and I'd, I'd love to see it just for the team itself because I think it's really important for the league that we do have these sort of we're going into the final weekend of the league say with three teams in contention we go to the cup and there's one of the big teams and then there's someone else from somewhere else around the country who isn't known for getting to these places so I'm not saying I'm up for Athlone, but I'm, I'm optimistic for a good game.
0: Yeah, you're not, not saying that either. <laughs> um, great stuff. Uh, Kyle Mulaney has joined us. I feel surrounded by Sligo people now. And
3: you love it, Shay. Oh, this is great. <laughs>
0: Sligo either side. Fantastic. When do you see this? Carl, good morning. How's it going? Are you all well? Keeping well. Good. It's, uh,
8: the dream is over. The yeah, Irish cricket yeah. dream is over Yeah, it was disappointing this morning um, New Zealand played really well Ireland started the chase quite well But then it kind of unravelled slightly But like, it's been a great tournament uh, That win over England will live long in the memory We'll always have that We'll always have that And uh, disappointing that I think the Afghanistan game um, No play in that match And then the, the three other matches uh, Fairly hefty losses But look at I mean All in all quite a successful campaign for Ireland to win that game against England. Just in terms of the exposure for the sport, I think that win over England will do a lot in terms of promotion of the game in the country and beyond as well and underlines Ireland's status among the nations in the world that's operating at a decent level at t 20 level and you know looking forward I think Ireland along with uh, England and Scotland potentially hosting the 2030 tournament there's talk that there might be a new national stadium for Ireland uh, cricketers in the coming years as well so all in all you would hope that all that it kind of feeds into that positivity uh, heading forward but there's still lots of work to be done in terms of that stadium and if that could be developed you would think it would secure the long-term future of the game and obviously grow the game uh, here in Ireland as well and we've shown already that we can be very very competitive.
0: Do you think cricket, cricket can become mainstream in Ireland? Like it's, it's, it's on the periphery a little bit at the minute, but then you see results like this and everyone in the whole country gets involved because it's a big moment and it's sport and Irish people love their sport.
8: Yeah, it's hard to know. Like I mean, obviously, Gaelic Games and soccer and, and rugby are the three main ones, but it's amazing when you delve into the details of cricket worldwide, just how many people play the sport and watch the sport. Um, you know, I was surprised reading up on it as Ireland were playing this campaign just how many people across the world actually watch cricket mm. and obviously it's a big part of Sky Sports uh, offering at the moment as well probably when you don't come from that background you're, you only clue into it when Ireland are t- doing well maybe or playing in the bigger tournaments to become mainstream there's probably a lot of work to be done in that regard to, to spread it around the country but I think the development of a new national stadium will be a big boost for them uh, the women's team are currently playing this morning as well in Pakistan as their first uh tour of any Irish senior side to think of Pakistan so that's obviously a huge positive as well and uh, it is growing it is growing but to become mainstream might be a stretch in the mm. medium term but certainly in the longer term it's a, it's a goal to aspire to I would think uh, I'm looking forward to the Premier League action
0: this weekend I uh, Tottenham Liverpool of course the big one on Sunday at half past four I'm actually heading over to Villa Park on Sunday for Aston Villa against Manchester United and I, book, I booked this a long time ago. So we, Stephen Gerrard was the manager at the time. Uh, clearly now it's Unai Emery's first game in charge. United coming in with a bit of confidence. Um, I chose Villa Park because I was like, right, I, I'm going to try and go through my bucket list of Premier League stadiums. Craven Cottage is up there as well. Mm. Do either of you have? I'm putting you both in the spot here, but stadiums or stadia, I don't know what the correct term is <laughs> uh, that you would like to to visit and see a match. Because like we all have these, you know, this idea of getting to the Maracana or whatever, but you have anywhere are we list? talking
3: specifically football or any sport ah, any sport mm, I've always wanted to do like the rugby ones like I'd love to go down to New Zealand and yeah. see an All Blacks game or else to be honest Cardiff for like a Six Nations oh, game God. I've never been and Don't I've chat. wanted to go for so long I was supposed to go 2020 so like when Covid hit I just think like closed roof Hear the anthems, see the lights. I, I think the main reason for that is because my first proper, like, sporting, not even memory, but I suppose one of the times where I properly got that heart moment in my heart was watching Cardiff 2009 and just, like, mm. seeing the, the commentary, the whole atmosphere, atmosphere. It was just, ugh. it's still one of the standout moments in my head. And I think that's why I have that emotional tie to it, because it's probably. Why I got so into sport, that was probably the like little key moment for me, right? Which is quite late quite on when you consider it, but before that, I was very much just a, a sofa fan.
0: Colin said, Sellers Park is amazing, Glad All Over is a belter of a tune, belter in block capitals for <laughs> you, Cahill. I like, you look, it's all about atmosphere, isn't it? Because I look at and, and even character. I look at the reason I, I want to go to Craven Cottage is because of. You know the,
8: the stanchions covering, blocking your 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 view. It's a real old kind of old school yeah, stadium. Yeah, like I think Spurs Stadium. Yes, uh, will be one, and that's quite accessible. I think to, to get to, it looks fantastic. Um,
3: I've heard the atmosphere around it's like bad in the sense yeah. that did, the fans are just did, not yeah, very NFL nice. I NFL
8: London I saw over there. Yeah. No,
0: it wasn't a football match so maybe the atmosphere is totally different but uh, it, it, the great stadium you could smell as I said the fresh paint off it but like mm. you do need a bit of atmosphere. You
8: do and it's funny we were just talking about that and there's been commentary again this week about Ireland-South Africa tomorrow at the Aviva Stadium and the lack or thereof of atmosphere at the Aviva Stadium yeah. mm. uh, over the years at different sporting fixtures. It's hard to get right because you've got to have a match day experience for fans and maybe people that aren't overly interested In the match itself, but you want to try and draw them into the sport somehow by offering a good fan experience, and you've got to marry that then with the, you know, fans that want to solely focus on the match. Uh, And I think the IRFU are going to do some uh, surveys around the three November internationals to try and glean some information from the people attending in terms of what they want. I think the Irish Times and Gerry Thornley has written about this uh, of late. That there was one incident where. Uh, one supporter said they had to get up 73 times in a match ah, to here. let people in by them because they were mm. going to, have to get drinks during the match. Jesus. Um, so you've got to try and marry the two experiences, um, whether it's a case of at these venues that you keep the bars closed during the match themselves, whether you let keep the bars open, but people can't bring their drinks back to their seats, they'd have to drink in the concourse. And therefore, people that are watching in their seats have an uninterrupted view of the match throughout the course of the first half. Then you can take your break at half time and back in again for the second half. Um, another thing at venues, I think, is is the use of phones. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, I think. Old man Cahill about to go off on a rant. Here. <laughs> Yells at Cloud. But you mentioned, <laughs> Those you mentioned damn venues. Phones. You mentioned venues. Um, obviously, I play a bit of golf, and uh, Augusta, obviously, is the place that I'd love to visit but I think there's a rule there that you can't bring your phone on the course. Right. And that if you're if you if you're seen with a phone, you'll be thrown out. Mm. Love that. So you're that. living in the moment. Love that. Yeah. Uh, see the famous
0: photographs of Tiger Woods teeing off at events and everyone's just like, and then there's always that one little old person
8: watching and taking it all in Do with you know, their eyes. Yeah. I was actually chatting to someone about this uh, in the last few days about... You know, Filming things on your phone at a match. Pointless. How good is the footage you're going to get? Ah, oh, gee, it's just a proven look social media. Look, look yeah. at me, I was there. Exactly like
0: you know, I don't think you're going to get here's me talking I will definitely take a video from Villa Park box, <laughs> I was going to say
3: I can't wait for your Instagram story yeah, to go I'm going to
0: be that dose sorry <laughs> Yeah.
3: I really yeah. hope the sky camera like catches you at some stage and you're just there on your phone I get
0: the best angle yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah
3: I don't think it's about though like the like, I, I do agree largely with the point you're both making but I don't think it's actually about the footage that you're taking it's that sort of thing of you know, you're scrolling through your phone and you see a photo of a match you're at, or you see a video or something and you're like, Oh <laughs> God, that was a great day or yeah. that yeah. was a terrible day. Yeah. Depending on the result. Yeah. I, I think there's that element to it as well. Like I I do agree that there definitely should be less people on their phones at matches and whenever say there's like a free kick or something and literally oh. everyone around you is on their phone, i I don't yeah.
0: agree with that so much. But I was, I was actually in the, the Stratford End singing section for a match last year. It was the United Villarreal game when Ronaldo scored that last minute winner I think that was the game and um, w- literally there's a sign just before you you enter into that uh, area of the of the stadium and it says no phones and like they're serious about it because I, I came out I hadn't seen this in advance but came out then and I was just taking a little video and the guy behind me tapping the shoulder said mate now phones <laughs> and I was like oh apologies I actually panicked and I was like oh, it's for my mum it's for my mum I'm just taking a video <laughs> from my mum at home and sending it back to her because she doesn't know I'm <laughs> yeah. here uh, panicked. Pure panic. We've got uh, some comments in on this as well. Centre court Wimbledon for me says Jim Sullivan. Mm -hmm. Um, You've been to Wimbledon haven't you?
3: I have yeah. Centre court Wimbledon Andy Murray that's what you want. It's insane. Like I remember one evening I was leaving um, Wimbledon and you go to like kind of basically go into the housing that's nearby to try and get an Uber to get out and I was standing on top of a hill overlooking Wimbledon and it was dark. The lights were on Andy Murray was playing and that you could hear it like it was reverberating around the entirety of Wimbledon it was so glass because cool. Centre Court is a very strange atmosphere anyways like I've never been in a sporting event like it you're sitting there it's dead silent and then play stops and you just hear like champagne corks being popped all around the place because you can just bring in a full bottle of champagne with you like they sell them right, right outside and there's just people chatting and then play starts bring again bring it to your seat like yeah it's well, because it's a tennis crowd, I don't think they're as worried about someone yeah. throwing a I mean, ground. It's great, bottle. but it's bizarre. Yeah, but it's just so strange mm. whenever the play, st- or play stops and it's just like boop,
0: boop, boop around the hole. Uh, Colm says, our producer, Kevin Bridges didn't allow any phones, extremely strict about it. Good to see it. Good to see it. Um, soccer fans keeping away from going to the stadium, says LB. Sharks have a great stadium, they have a pool and playground next to the pitch for kids. Uh, someone else has commented regarding drinking in stadiums there was also that incident in Cardiff last November when a child got vomited on yeah that was a famous mm. infamous incident uh, you don't want to see that um, monster hurling final in Turles no fake atmosphere created just atmosphere created by fans and what's going on in the pitch Love that. Yeah. I've never been to a Ulster Hurling final. Like, I spoke to of course was it the Ulster Football final in Clonus, the home of football as well.
3: Been to many of them myself as yeah, well. <laughs> unbelievable.
0: Like, yeah. Walking up the hill in the sun. And I spoke to like, Gavin White, the Kerry player, was in with me on last Saturday and like even before we came on air we were talking about that Monaghan Kerry Super 8s game in twenty eighteen when Clifford scored the last minute goal to equalize and the atmosphere he said the atmosphere that day was unlike any he would experienced to that point and that was his first year. So just mo like what's Markovich Park like for, for atmosphere in a hot sunny championship afternoon?
8: Yeah, it's, um, unfortunately it's been a while since there's been a big chapter yeah, yeah. game. Um, I but you were going to say
3: until there was a hot sunny afternoon <laughs> in Sligo. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all true. my memories of being in Marketbridge Park are like, it's lashing in right. In the West, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
8: yeah. Um, no, there were some really good days uh, back in the noughties. Mm. I can remember one of the first games I remember going to there was, I think it was 2004, Sligo so played Rescom and it went extra time. But Shane Kerr and Cake, who uh, of course. published a book uh, in the last couple of years, um, was in goal for Roscommon that day, and Sligo and Roscommon played out a draw. I think it was a, re- a replay actually, and it went to extra time. But that was the first time a goalkeeper had come out of goals, and he scored one-one. Uh, <laughs> he scored a penalty. He he uh, had to try and save a penalty. I think Paul Taylor scored a penalty on it for Sligo, and then he scored an unbelievable free from the sideline. Um, I'm not oh, sure as so great things a coming out of Connacht. Slash Sligo. Uh, Cake <laughs> is one of the great characters and a bloody good goalkeeper as well. But it's funny you mentioned Thurless. I've been to Thurless, um actually when the stadium was empty during I think it was during Covid at some stage and still like it's just such an iconic venue hallowed ground yeah it just has just has that feel to it Um, I suppose it is kind of old fashioned in a sense and I think they have plans to improving and they have done in recent years as well uh, with some of the stands and stuff but it just has such a history to it I think and mm. obviously the J was founded in Thurlis as well So keep the comments coming in folks
0: let us know where your, your stadium bucket list is by the way I've got, my, I've got my press pass ticket for Villa United my brother Dara is desperately looking for a ticket <laughs> any Aston Villa fans or United fans out there give us a hand give us a hand just one ticket for anywhere I've tried Jair. I've tried Ger the Villa fan in the in house I was going <coughs> to say
3: the main man himself
0: yeah tough one to get for because it's United and also Unai Emery's first game so understandable he's going to fly over anyway and hopefully. cross the fingers and hopefully get something on the day Otherwise, so it will still
3: be good enough atmosphere just around the yeah, place yeah, as yeah, well yeah. until like, the
0: game kicks off and he's sitting by himself in a pub in Birmingham <laughs> Uh, No, no, I'm sure it'll be be good crack anyway.
8: Uh, Cal, what else is happening this morning? Well, just to update, uh, the Irish women's cricket team, we mentioned they're in action against Pakistan in the first of their one-day internationals. Pakistan posting a total of 335 from their 50 overs. Ireland currently 17 without loss after four overs there in Lahore. And uh, we mentioned the men's team exiting the T20 Cricket World Cup in Australia earlier with a defeat to New Zealand. Chasing a target of 186, Ireland only managed 150 in response. Though it did feature a hat-trick of wickets in the 19th over, for Josh Little and a really impressive uh, bowling performance there from him. Shamrock Rovers' Conference League campaign concluded last night with a 1-0 loss to Jorgorden in Sweden. The Swedish club topped Group F. The hoops ended in bottom without a win after their <coughs> six matches. West Ham beat FC SB 3-0 in Group B to finish top and Conor Coventry, the Republic of Ireland under 21 international played 90 minutes there for the Hammers. Manchester United heading into the playoff round to reach the last 16 of the Europa League. Alejandro Garnaccio was on the mark in their 1-0 win over Real Saucy. Last night, but uh, Saucy Dad top group BC United finished second. They face a two legged playoff in the new year to prolong their interest in the competition and some potentially tricky ties there. Barcelona Juventus among the teams dropping down uh, from the Champions League. It's more straightforward for Arsenal. They top group A after a 1 0 defeat of Zurich at the Emirates. The SSE Air League First Division playoff final takes place tonight. Galway United take on Waterford at Markets Field, where kickoff is at a quarter to eight, and the winner will face UCD for a place uh, in the Premier Division vision next season. In rugby scrum half Craig Casey, captains Ireland in their clash with the All Blacks tonight. Kick off for that one at the RDS also at a quarter to eight. Decent All Blacks uh, side name for that one too. Uh, Seamus Power gets his second round at the PGA Tours Worldwide Technology Championship underway from four under par today. He shot 67 yesterday. He's five shots off the lead. Will Gordon is uh, one shot ahead of the chasing pack there on nine under par. Stephanie Meadow, meanwhile, on the LPGA Tour in action at the Total Japan Classics. She She's on two over par after her second round. She posted a second success of 73 this morning. Momoko Ueda is the leader there on 10 under par. And in racing, finally, seven races at Down Royal today from 20 past 12. And the first of eight races at Tundalk off at 5 o'clock this evening.
0: Colin Mulaney, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Thanks, folks. <clears <clears throat> throat> throat again. Absolutely. Same to yourself at 8.55am uh, on this Friday morning on OTPM, brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. <coughs> Excuse me, effortless shave, my deficit, Mo. You can sign up or right donate now at movember.com. Alan Quinlan, good morning.
1: Morning, guys. How are you?
0: Keeping well. Keeping well. We've had uh, our own Stephen Kisby Green on the show this week. A Springbok fan uh, predicting a six-point win, I think, for, for South Africa tomorrow. Uh, we had Craig Ray on this morning, and he says maybe South Africa by by three or four points. He went with his heart. This is brilliant. We can have the South Africans playing themselves up all day long.
1: Yeah, they're they're probably entitled to. Um, yeah, Shane. Given where you know what they've done the last two years, they've been pretty consistent. They're they're a side that um still find a way to win even when they don't play that well in certain games, they can kinda of squeeze the life out of the opposition. And um they just have that power, that's uh that brilliance in the backfield as well that, you know, if you keep poorly to them, if you give uh their back three time and space, they can really hurt you. So yeah, I, I it's hard to you know, people are asking me about predictions for this game. You don't know. Ireland are kinda of coming into this a little bit cold, you know. Um a short preparation time, and you know, you would hope they'd hit the ground running. South Africa have, you know, obviously come off the back of a rugby championship, it's the end of the season for them, really. So, uh, with their internationals, but um, all their, their players now are playing in the URC, so it's um, it's different for them nowadays. They're not tired at the end of this year, but it's been a busy summer for them. But they're very, very powerful. They lost two games one to New Zealand at, ho- uh, at home in the rugby championship, and one in Australia. Um, and by their own admission, I think they didn't start those games well. So Ireland have got to start well tomorrow, and um, you know, probably rightly so. Um, whether I, I'm not sure what the the bookies are making it. Um, certainly, uh, South Africa are probably slight favourites.
0: Make of the what do you make of the Irish starting team? Robert Ballacoon coming in is a is a is a great one. We had Jack McGrath on the show yesterday, full of praise for him.
1: Yeah, I would have. Uh, you know, Adrian. Uh, asked me for uh, for a team a couple of weeks ago and uh, um I, 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 I got them all right except Conor Murray starting its from half because right. you know we presume gibson park would have been back and um i was picking Balakun on the wing when when we kind of heard that james Lowe wasn't going to be available um i think he's an incredibly exciting player he's been around a couple of years now he's not a young young fella he's 25 um but I think he's matured a lot. I think he's physical, you know, physicality of his game has improved a lot. Um, his kick chase is good. He's he's obviously a big, tall man and his biggest asset is, asset is that electric pace, you know, but there's more, you've got to have more to your game than that. You know, it has to be uh, an all-round game and I think he's he's a super exciting player with incredible speed, but um he's up against two wingers tomorrow in in Aronsa and uh, uh Mipimpe, who've, who are very very good players and uh, very very dangerous players and and Aronsa is incredibly elusive and obviously Chels- Cheslin Colby at full back so um, you know he might get many opportunities tomorrow uh, but he's got to do the you know the kick chase stuff the defending well get the the decision making right around your defense because that back three are going to test um, test Ireland and they're going to kick as well you know he's going to have a lot of a lot of uh, kick receipts but he's a brilliant player and I think it's a great call from, from Andy Farrell
3: If you were to pick out an area of the South Africa side that you're, you mentioned like the back three there that you're most worried about that Ireland won't be able to cope with what would that be?
1: Um, it would probably be their forwards Kathleen Um <laughs> Look, I think you. you, you everybody knows they're they're a very physical side, and they bring a real intensity to their game. And um, I think under Jack Mean and Rassi Erasmus, they've they've really zoned in and focused in on getting really super fit. Um, their conditioning and and being really relentless when they when you know when they're trying to grind down the opposition. Since those t- two guys have taken over, they've obviously turned everything around. They've won test matches in New Zealand. They've you know, won a World Cup, uh, rugby championship, um, and they've got real momentum. And I think they're maximizing this group of players and getting the best out of them. Um, sometimes the game they play is not that flashy, but you know, for any coach, any coaches who had a forward pack, and, and it's not just the eight players, it's the options off the bench, and they're always going to be you know traditionally big physical players the South Africans but I think they can play rugby as well and they're there but they play to their strengths and so I think their biggest strength Kathleen is that is up front um obviously Cheslin Colby at full back um he can do stuff out of nothing and when you have a kick chase against him if you if your line is any little bit fractured um he'll find a gap his sidestep is so it's so impressive and um you know we saw in that world cup final the try the winning try he got against england and he's done it many times for uh, for toulouse and south africa he's now with Toulon um but so i think that their biggest strength obviously is collectively up front and i think uh, you know they've developed a real um uh, edge to their game um you don't want to give away penalties and give them options to kick to the corner and and try and maul against you because um you know they when they get in around that 22 zone, um, if their breakdown is quick, then if, you know, off off, off rooks, um, they just come around the corner and they get over the gain line. So it's that's the real challenge for Ireland is is stopping them developing their mall and uh, putting pressure on their breakdown. So they don't have real quick ball with big men running at at your backs and stuff like that.
0: Just looking at the odds here for the game. So Ireland are 8-15. to 15 favourites South Africa 13-8 for the game of course home advantage comes into that one as well like when you look at that you mentioned the South African um, back three and I mean someone like Mapimpi on, like, on the wing for, the, for them like if Ireland's kicking game is off in any way tomorrow South Africa can create a bit of magic with, with that back three
1: yeah they can and uh, Mapimpi is um, he's a brilliant finisher but he's an incredibly competitive player when he doesn't have the ball as well so you know, if uh, Hendricks said a scrum half, if he puts up box kicks, well, a Pimpy is just, he's so aggressive in the air and he's so, um, he competes so well. Um, and then they win the ball back in those situations a lot of the time. And, you know, there was so much talk in 2018 when Ireland had a brilliant year um, winning a Grand Slam series in Australia, beating New Zealand in November, we were number one ranked team in the world um, coach of the year, player of the year, all that kind of stuff and one of the big things that was jumping out with that Irish team around that time was, was our kicking game, you know the box kicking the ability to win it back um, putting pressure on the opposition and using your kicking game really so effectively you know that kind of uh, opposition team started to They'll get better themselves at kick receipts. Uh, they protected the the jumper better. Um, and, you know, they, it, it changed the way Ireland played. And then they probably hit a brick wall in 2019. and just couldn't find any sort of confidence in their game. And, you know, the Six Nations was just disappointing, the World Cup warm-ups and the World Cup itself. Uh, the point here is, you know, obviously, it, South Africa, um, a lot of that stuff is really brilliant with South Africa. You know, the way they can get the ball back and they, they've shown it. They won a the line series as well. Uh, you know, so they're, they've built a brilliant side and I think they've got, um, you know, Rassi Rasmus and Jack Deanember have got the players on board. They've got them fitter. A lot of their players are playing in Europe and Japan. Uh, they're pretty fresh when they go into camp. Um, they've developed their skills and, um, they're implementing what they want to do. So playing to their strengths and then, you know, going back to your question there, they're back three. Players like that can score and when they move the ball, you know, there's it's a bit of um, – sometimes they get a bit of criticism for, for, for maybe being very direct and kicking the ball a lot. and uh, But that should be – they should be complimented for that because they play to their strengths. And then when they need to score tries or if they need to move it, they have those players in that backfield. Um, Lucan Am is not playing. He's injured. He's probably one of the best backs in the world. He's a brilliant uh, 13. Um, Colby would probably be on the wing. Um, and, you know, is not. He's, he's on the bench. He's not playing back. So they're changing things around. Willem said, at fly half. There's no, um, you know, they don't have Pollard there as well. So they're really trying to develop. And for them psychologically to come to Dublin and and beat Ireland would be a real statement on the flip side of that for Ireland to beat the World Champions of Dublin <laughs> would be great as well some people some part of me thinks god do we um because we thought we peaked a little bit early um not consciously that you want to peak and and then kind of get to the top of the hill and start coming down the other side um there's nothing wrong with continuing that momentum and i think Ireland for Ireland they would be looking to have a really good november but it's a real asset test tomorrow because obviously South Africa are in our group at the World Cup. There's a potential, maybe if we get out of the group, to, to possibly meet France in the quarterfinal <laughs> or New Zealand. Um, so these big games is kind of money in the bank and you learn stuff about the way you play. And, you know, we struggled a little bit last year in Paris with the physical strength of the, of, of the French. So we're going to get a real test tomorrow. And you can't just create players that are, you know, 120 kilos, six foot six or seven, uh, right across their back five. Um, South Africa probably can do that because they have so many big men to pick from. Um, but I think we can learn from the way we cope with uh, and not allowing situations like them all develop, um, being really technically good uh, around the tackle area and those collisions, stopping their momentum and, um, and, you know, as I said, we, we, we did struggle a little bit against France and we've, we've struggled a little bit before against England when they were flying in 2019. So um, you can learn a lot from this game. But again, Ireland are kind of, you know, they haven't played since the summer, but they should have a spring in their step playing at home in the Aviva.
0: That, um, that physicality you mentioned, like we spoke to Greg Gray about that and uh, the 6-2 split, the bomb squad, <coughs> and um, just the size that that South African pack. Like if you're from an Irish perspective, Quinny, are are you if you're on the Irish team preparing to face that physicality, are are you preparing for this game any differently than you would for, for another game given the size and given the uh, just the intimidating nature of, of this South African pack or, or is it just like any other game?
1: It's not like any other game. I think it's you know, uh, I think Shane it's 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 an intriguing kind of question. What do you do when you're playing a bigger side? I think you just probably have to be switched on and more alert to the fact that you know there's some times when guys run at you in tackles and matches, you, you, you make the tackle and you're pretty dominant and you probably don't have to be as alert or as angry as fired up as, you, as, as um, uh, you don't need to be that way every time, but when you play South Africa and their forwards are running around the corner, you know in other situations you make that leg tackle and you probably you win that game line a little bit easier. Um, But when you have these kind of big guys running at you, you just have to be, uh, you have to have that enthusiasm and that, you have to be really alert and get off the line really quickly. You know, it's like a big man running at you. If you let him build up a head of steam, 10, 12 yards, well, it's, it's more difficult. That impact is a bit more telling, but if you can get six, five, six yards off the line quicker, he probably doesn't have that speed up. So, you just got to focus on doing that more. Um, sometimes you can't stop it. You have just got to maybe take the tackle and lo- lose it, uh, lose the gain line a little bit. But Ireland are a confident side and they're a fit side and they're very cohesive. And they showed the rugby they played and the challenge of winning in New Zealand was was immense. Um, so you know we're not we're no slouches ourselves. You know when you think of Furlong and Porter and Sheehan, that front row is physical if not. Can, can match any side of the yeah. world. They're world class players and, um, you know, the, the scrummaging, you know, Andrew Porter, um, he's got to get his, that side of the scrum right against Malherba, who's been a rock solid kind of stonewall for, for, for the Springboks for a couple of years. But, um, you just got to be more alert for it, really. And I think if you put down the weights of all the players, there's not going to be. Like twenty kilos per man. It's going to be one or two players that are a little bit different. I think they're two second rows. Etzebeth and Lou Dieger, um, are bigger than James Ryan and, and Tyg Burn. There's probably a couple of kilos on them, um, but it's it's that aggressive nature. They know no other way. If you think of CJ Stander when he's played for Munster Ireland, it's they love collisions. It's what they've been brought up on. It's the way the game is played a lot in South Africa. Um, so. The problem for everybody else in the world is, is they've developed their skills and they've become very intelligent in the way they've, they've played against player, uh, the opposition. And, you know, with Jack Nienaber and Rossi Rasmus being in, in Munster for a couple of years and, and making lots of changes, positive changes about, um, with the Springboks, they've had mass, massive success. So that's a real challenge. And as a player, um, you just know that, and it sounds fairly obvious and, and stupid maybe, but, you know, like I said at the start, is if you go half-hearted into a tackle, you're probably going to come out second best. Um, So Ireland have just got to be switched on and aggressive themselves. And I think, you know, they'll be confident if they can stretch the spring box and, and, you know, build multi-phase, that they can cause them problems. And um, that could happen. Ireland could have, uh, you know, Ireland can hurt any team the way they played. If they can get some of the stuff they did in New Zealand, they can hurt any side. And, that's that's what I'm looking forward to how, what their reaction is like they've got to set the tone and I think probably South Africa one of the big things in, in a lot of their success in recent years even in that World Cup final the way they start the game if they start well and they get a couple of points on board they're a great side at building a scoreline uh, taking away the opposition um, deflating the opposition with scrum penalties or breakdown penalties um, so yeah that's it's an intriguing one and I think uh, it'll be a real test for Ireland
0: um, Quinny finally prediction time uh, like fill us with a bit of optimism here I mean
1: and we've got the week no, of the I'm Irish confident. I'm confident I'm confident and I, I really hope Conor Murray It's his 100 cap I think a few people um, Gibson Park hasn't played for a while obviously he's on the bench but Conor Murray starting um, you know I really hope that it's it's a memorable 100 cap for him I think he's been probably He's been world-class for a number of years. Has um, his form dipped a little bit in the last two years? Probably a couple of years. Um, but he still has that quality, that experience. And I hope he has, has a brilliant game. I think Ireland are good enough. And uh, contrary to what Stephen was saying, I'm, I'm predicting Ireland to win by seven or eight points. Love it. Brilliant. Uh, love Finally. It yeah. <laughs> Yeah, finally
0: some optimism and of course you have got the, the Irish uh, A team playing against the New Zealand select tonight at the ODs as well so look forward to both of those games listen Quinny enjoy the action over the weekend cheers thanks guys thanks million Alan Quinn in there with us as he is always on a Friday uh, I should mention as well the Women's World Cup action continuing um, this weekend tonight late tonight uh, tomorrow morning so F- Favourites England looking to book a sixth World Cup final appearance they're taking on the 2014 runners-up Canada that's at half past three tonight slash tomorrow morning Uh, and then the hosts and defending champions New Zealand to look into dispatch France in the other semi-final as well that will be half past six tomorrow morning so two early starts but it's at the semi-final stage and uh, for quality teams on show so uh, looking forward to both of those games now OTBM at uh, 13 minutes past 9 on this Friday morning brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember effort to shave, magnificent Mo you can sign up or donate now at com. here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio coming up for the rest of today from half past 10 we have live the crappy quiz it is back Adrian winning last week in a shock result uh, took the crappy quiz world by surprise uh, given his dire performances of late um, breaking the longest streak in, in sporting history um, so congratulations to him he'll try and defend his title not easy to do uh, I know from experience half past 11 live the football kickoff with Jer, Colum, and Clive Allen uh, Clive Allen the legend uh, I know Colm loves speaking to Clive Allen a good mate as well uh, yes yeah, so that, that's coming from half past eleven this morning one o'clock it's OTB Gold Catherine Switzer we have the Meath Mount Rushmore from three o'clock from four it's Team 33's League of Ireland legend interview with Mark Quigley and then from 6pm OTB Gold with Ronnie Delaney you can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB podcast network for all the best in the latest sports content after the break we are live in studio with Daniel Davey author of the new book on nutrition eat up the next level perform at your best physically and mentally every day
9: OTB AM
0: 16 minutes past 9 on this Friday morning OTB AM you heard uh, Andy Farrell talking about Conor Murray in the, in the ad break there and uh, yeah news as well on the Irish front this morning worrying news Robbie Henshaw a doubt for tomorrow's game um, so we'll wait and see how that emerges and progresses over the next uh, 24 hours or so before that game against South Africa now delighted to be joined in studio uh, at this time by Daniel Davies. so Daniel, I know you've been on this before but you have a new book out uh, you'll see it here for folks on the, the stream Eat Up, The Next Level perform at your best physically and mentally every day number one best-selling author, Daniel Davies I should mention as well so, uh, what's, so what, what's inspired this book and uh, I guess in comparison to the, to the previous book you've done
7: the
5: first book was about the basic principles of of nutrition, and I guess trying to get the message across as we were just saying that food and eating good food uh, can actually be easier than a lot of people think uh, and that's the thankfully that's the feedback I get uh, that it is relatively simple once you make a start at it uh, and once you get into it. Uh, this book is a progression in terms of my own philosophy and experience. So I'm very fortunate to have been in a elite environments for the past almost 10 years. And this is an evolution. This is giving people an insight to how are athletes consistent and what can people take from athletes and those type of um, uh, those environments to be a little bit more consistent in their own lives. So more nutrition information a little bit more detail. Uh, and then there's a, a focus on food that supports our immune system and food that you can eat around injury. And I noticed even uh, one of the lads in, in reception had uh, a cast in his arm. And the first thing I'm thinking about is, I wonder has he thought about the little things that he can do to support his recovery? Yeah, I doubt he has. <laughs> well, <laughs> like that, most people don't.
0: Maybe
3: he's listening to this now and yeah. he's like, oh, i got to get him on his way out and ask him what I need to do.
5: Justified. <laughs> Coming in this morning, if that's what comes of it.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned elite background. Like maybe for people who are unaware of your your, your background, you, you play Gaelic games as well and Dublin football as well. So, well, what's your background? You've worked with Dublin football senior football team. You've worked with Leinster rugby as well.
5: Yeah. I I've I played uh, club football uh, for my own club at home, Calani uh, Monabrina in Sligo and Ballyboden Saint Enders so it's a Sligo everyone. <laughs> you know, I'm from Sligo. I'm from Sligo as well. Yeah. Oh, Screen. Oh no way. Yeah. Well, I'm the south and you're the north. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we're we're still not that far from the no, coast. No, we're not. Um, yeah, half an hour anywhere in Sligo, you can you can reach any point. Um, so I I'm from Sligo, um, but I'm I'm in Dublin now for nearly twenty years. And uh, I, yeah, so I, I've played club football at that level, and I'd like to think that I've lived it. You know, it's always been a fascination of mine body composition performance strength all of these things and now as I said uh, immunity and injury but uh, I'm I've worked with Leinster Rugby for almost 10 years and the Dublin Senior Football Team uh, for Nine years, Uh but I, I've done other things as well outside yeah. of that. It's you know golfers, jockey, athletics. um It's the variety in sport. It, just anybody who's competitive or interested in improving their performance, uh, I really enjoy working with. I was saying before
0: we came on air as well, like the, the, the Michael Scott line from the office. Speak to me like I'm a four year old, and and I need that. Like in terms of cooking, like for someone like me, and there's plenty of people watching and listening, probably who are similar lines to me. Shock and cook, yeah. like and and. Find it tough to to eat healthily. Like I find myself sometimes buying those the the fit foods, the the ready made stuff. So it's ready yeah. made, makes it easy. But I mean, yeah. some of the recipes you have in here are pure and simple
5: for people yeah. who are maybe not cooking inclined. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I, I remember uh, I was. Um uh, doing a presentation with the uh, the Dublin team about uh, two years ago, and uh, like people's evolution and people's learning and experience around food evolves quite slowly. It's not like once you have the information or once you have this particular technique, away you go. It's it's like learning any skill. But I remember uh, one of the lads uh, had said to me beforehand. You know, I didn't realise how simple some of uh, you know even the processes like using a single pot and and cooking all of your main ingredients in one pot can be. And I, I shared it and he's like, you're making me sound like a simpleton here. <laughs> but it's, it, that's not it. It's like just having a little process using a little bit of oil, garlic and, and salt and just experimenting with that and then using different types of meats. It's just introducing really simple approaches to your cooking that can make such a difference. Uh, even your breakfast and overnight oats, combining oats and milk and yogurt and a little bit of honey and putting it in a pot the night before and having it as an option for breakfast the next morning. Those are the type of things that you help people figure out along the way. And then they start going, geez, putting a couple of these things together really does make a difference. Yeah.
3: I always remember watching, you know, the Katie Taylor documentary and when she first moved over to the States and she was trying to cook for herself. And obviously an elite athlete, the best in her career path. But like, I was so shocked because you just, there's something, you almost assume that athletes know these things or that they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And of course, why would they? Like, they're the same as everyone else. Everyone has some people are good cooks, some people are bad cooks, some people are interested, some people aren't. Did you find that much when you were working with people that say they were, very invested in like the gym or they knew exactly what they had to do on that side of things but when it came to nutrition and feeding themselves right that was harder to ingrain
5: I remember that as well and uh, it didn't I mean it surprised me to a point because you know you're talking about somebody at the very top of their game uh, and you think, God, I'm sh-, you know, you think that they're good at everything. Particularly uh-huh. if, particularly if it's a that it it's something that can influence your performance to this extent. You know, it's second only to your training, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course sleep and and mindset. But it, it's it's so important. But athletes, uh, s- some of them can just get by, and we know so many of them. That reach those levels and they talk now. I've heard the stories of people coming in here talking about, you know, fries the day before the days of all Ireland. I've heard and I get these messages sent to me. The reality is there's probably about 10-15% of athletes that just cover all bases. Everything from their rehab uh, to their sleep. You know, you you might have heard stories about the likes of, you know, Jamie Heaslip. Now it's the likes of Josh van der Fleer who just do everything. The Gary Ringroses—they have every aspect of their preparation absolutely spot on. And then you've got a group in the middle, I suppose, who they're influenced by others in the environment. And then if you really have a strong message around its importance are, are 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 going to listen and take these things on board but athletes want to play a sport and they want to train and they want to be in good shape and it has evolved you know the 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 understanding of of its value it has evolved but it didn't start like that and that was the first book and the second book as you can see it written on it the the recipes are things that i had to put together for athletes to make this simple and accessible. And now what's great is that it's mothers and grandmothers and kids that are trying these types of recipes. So the answer to you, to your question is you're always going to have a huge range mm. uh, of people uh, who are interested, not interested, and some of them just do it because they have to. Mm. It's funny, like you mentioned that thing about, you
0: know, maybe 10, 15% of athletes doing everything to cover all bases. Like I sat down, and the interview's coming up later on this morning, but uh, Ian Rush and Neville Southall yesterday And something Neville Southall said really stuck with me along those lines where he was like, he was talking about when he was a goalkeeper uh, for Everton and Wales. He would spend hours reading books and trying to perfect little things, like even improving minor things like his kit, his behaviour, his diet. And he said, if I changed 100 things, I got 1% better because of one of them, then it was worth it. And that's probably the thing that so many elite athletes and, and less elite athletes are probably watching this and thinking, right, you could pick up something from the book. I, I, and and think about one little th- aspect of your diet that could make the world of difference. It's only one percent difference, but that's
5: that's fairly big when it comes to elite. It's uh, it's absolutely huge. And what I have to manage is my. It definitely a, a stage was an obsession you know, how much value nutrition can provide for health and performance. It's, you know, in terms of lifestyle and how we feel and our energy and our outlook and confidence and mood, There's I need to manage my own so that I'm not putting it on people.
2: Yeah.
5: But uh, I talk a lot within team sport environments uh, about you're eating for your teammate and you're eating for your te- the team as well as just yourself. So if you talk about that 1%, you think about everybody making that difference to their to their performance and how that can raise the bar and that can raise your energy levels and what you can give it could be that tackle it can be that it can be that score in the last minute of the game because you've got the energy to do it or it can be you not getting sick or not getting that injury that's that's the reality of it so yeah it can, it can has that impact it's important to
0: and it's something you speak about as well as building a positive relationship you with actually food. read a couple of pages <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, listen i am the, the audience here i know what who needs something like yeah. this to, to make things simple but like that is so important having a positive relationship with food because very often a lot of us and i would be guilty of it as well sometimes at the weekend you would know, be sitting there going oh i got a takeaway
5: it's just yeah. easy simple yeah. but like it, you can actually have tasty food that's good for you yeah. as well yeah i i've seen um over the past particularly the past three or four years, I've seen a a big shift. Uh, And it's in the athlete world as well. So it's this building a positive mindset towards food, food being an investment, whereas we are surrounded with how do we cut calories? How do we, what do we cut out? What should we avoid? Is this food healthy or is this not healthy? And that's not good for us. Mm -hmm. And there's also an obsession, and I include a section in it as well. There's a bit of an obsession Around tracking uh, and uh, it's it's funny how people can get into this and and then not actually know how to get out of it and think that that's the only way and it's exactly the other end of the spectrum is this very close uh, relationship or connection between how we're feeling. We've had a bad week or a bad day, and the answer is uh, it's a bottle of wine uh, on a Friday or it's a takeaway, and that only compounds the issue. Mm. So it's exactly, it's those it's recognizing well what is it for you or what is it for me and what are the small changes it could be a breakfast for somebody it could be the Friday night for somebody else it could be bringing your lunch for somebody else so it's not uh, it's motivation and our relationship with food can go up and down depending on the season depending on whether we've had uh, a big weekend whether there's a wedding coming up holidays those type of things and we're trying to create that little bit more consistency and remove those kind of shorter term perspectives on food
3: And what would be your number one piece of advice to someone who's looking to introduce that sort of consistency to their life?
5: It's, it's to look at what their, I, I would call them pinch points are Where are the stress points in your week or in your day? And if you actually just focus on prioritizing something for that, it can make this huge knock-on effect on the rest. So a tiny example. I had a a, a soccer player come to me looking to reduce uh, his body fat during COVID. And uh, he he had a good... Five six percent body fat to lose and the only thing we focused on was his lunch because he didn't have good uh, he didn't have good options within the canteen and where he was and he wasn't consistent in bringing in his lunch and what was happening was he'd either skip lunch or not have something substantial at lunchtime and he would come home in bad form and really hungry yeah and he'd overeat mm. And that this cycle continues. The only thing he did was focus on lunch, and it had this huge effect on his energy levels, on how he felt in the rest of the afternoon. But also, he wasn't overeating when he came in, or when he came, yeah, when he came in in the evening, and he dropped that body fat. You know, so it's that just real clarity on one particular area, like you mentioned, mm, Arushan. Yeah.
0: Like my stomach rumbled as you were saying that I skipped <laughs> breakfast this morning and I'm like I feel like a naughty kid in
5: school the headmaster here I, I that's the last thing light. that's the last thing you should be thinking because it's just right okay well fix it I think I'll go after that tomorrow yeah yeah exactly It sometimes it
0: takes that um, like do, do you notice a difference between and you do touch on it in the book as well like dealing with athletes versus non-athletes like and I'm sure you, you have both both
5: sides of the spectrum as well but is there a ma- massive di- is it as big a difference as people think well, first of all, the demands of a, 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 those environments are significant, but also it, it, there's an, a, there's accountability within these environments. You've got physios, strength and conditioning coaches, you've got the coaches, and there's the competition element. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing these elements, somebody else will, which means you're not going to play. Okay. So that's a huge driving motivator, uh, and. We don't tend to have that if we're outside of those environments or outside team environments or clubs, and and that's the benefit that being a part of something brings. And the reality of it is, is that it is much more challenging when you're on your own, uh, and you got to build in that accountability. And it's understanding those principles first and foremost. So, what exactly, uh, like you mentioned um, already, Shane Cattney about. W- what is the one thing well look at your week and try and create what i would consider as a high performing schedule or plan for yourself and prioritize one or two areas and there's a a very simple process and people do it in business people do it in sport but there isn't enough thinking about it within lifestyle more broadly in the general population what's working and what's not working Yeah, and people in business and you probably do it even in here well what are the things that people are engaging with what are people not engaging with well it's exactly the same within your nutrition did that one thing that I tried to implement your breakfast mm. how did that make me feel did my energy levels improve did I like the breakfast you know did it make me feel full or do I need to try something different yeah. and it's that simple process over one or two things that that's what happens within elite environments around game plans, uh, around strength and conditioning plans, around every aspect. And that's what I'm trying to communicate in, uh, around s- simple planning. Absolutely.
0: How did it make me feel? It made me feel hungry and sad this <laughs> morning.
6: <moment. laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And your tummy that. is
0: rumbling. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to yeah. fix that. Uh, lovely comment. Finally, Daniel in from uh, Shifty Lad, one of our regular comments on, on the, the, the stream. He says, Daniel, do you have a website or Twitter to give an appointment? Do you deal with long-time injury, etc.? Thanks for coming on
5: yeah i I do uh, the injury one is 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 fascinating for me because I think that's the space that's evolved the most in recent years and it's actually not necessarily just the information people immediately think about things like supplements it's more of having a process maintaining strength and maintaining uh, structure that's that's the big value. I have a website uh, it's DavyNutrition dot com and it's at davytri uh, on all platforms so can people get the the book on the website all good bookstores as well am might be. Eason's Dubray all of them the book station they all have uh, have the book now and for everyone who's bought it and supported it uh, thanks very much yeah,
0: I very lovely, much appreciate it lo- lo- lovely pictures of the of the ingredients and recipes as well which it, it just makes it simple you've got the serves to preparation time cooking time total time equipment and just goes through it and ingredients on the left hand side as well so yeah.
5: the idea is evidence so it's an evidence based nutrition with practical ways of you achieving that evidence-based approach. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So eat up the next level, perform at your best physically and mentally every day. Daniel,
0: Daniel Davey, thanks a million for coming Thank you, us, as always. Thanks very much. Much well, appreciated. Uh, folks, that is uh, all we have time for. 9.33am on this Friday morning, which a.m. back Monday morning with the return of Jer, Nathan and those famous Gillette Labs performance rankings. We'll have all the reaction, of course, to Ireland's game against South Africa, which is tomorrow. Reflect on the weekend's Premier League action with the m- former Manchester City defender, Nedim Inua, plus much more besides right now. To leave you with the, the chat I've already mentioned. I uh, uh, sat down yesterday in Dublin with Liverpool legend Ian Rush and Everton legend Neville Southall, two Welsh legends in their own right as well. Uh, so, spoke to them and got into some really, really interesting topics. So, enjoy and have a great weekend. See you, see you on Monday. Alright, I'm uh, here in the Marker Hotel in Dublin and uh, you'll see from the, the blackguards behind me in Welsh territory you'd imagine but uh, we are in fact in Dublin, not Cardiff and joined by two bona fide Welsh legends 166 appearances for Wales between them We have uh, Neville Southall one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time of course just the 750 appearances for Everton not bad couple of league titles, a couple of FA Cups as well in there, and uh, the man on the, the outside there as well, Ian Rush. 346 goals, I think it is, uh, Ian, for Liverpool, five league titles and uh, two European Cups. Uh, you're both very welcome, lads, and uh, I suppose I wanted to start by asking, I know, Neville, you're an Everton legend, but Ian, did you, you grew up as an Everton supporter, am I right in saying?
10: Yes, that's it. Um, I used to go and watch Everson play when I was a kid, and uh, I, remember, I remember when I was playing for Chester, and um, the manager Alan also said that Everton are coming to watch you, and, uh, and Gordon Lee was the manager at Everton at the time. And never forget, in them days it was newspapers, <laughs> not like social media, it was newspapers And, and he said, and Virgil said, like Ian Rush was not good enough to play for Everton. And I was gutted to tell you the truth. I was gutted. And three three months later, I signed for Liverpool, and it was in me back of my mind there. I'm I'm, I'm going to make Everton pay.
0: I have often wondered, like like, say you're you're both Welsh teammates, you were Welsh teammates of course throughout the 80s and and part of the 90s, but when you're both playing for a rival Everton and Liverpool, rival clubs in Merseyside, are you still able to kind of socialise and go out together in Liverpool or is it a case of, jeez, you can't be seen as a toffee and a red together? What was your experience of living in the same city but uh, playing for very much rival teams now. well
9: Russia used to go to different places for me to be fair <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> much, much different True. places <laughs> no I, look I, I think I think it's just mutual respect and I would have never thought of him as an enemy I just thought of him as a, a great player and you want to play against great players in your career and the more times you played him the better it got, and, and, and what I thought what was nice is we, we never really spoke about it with Wales. We just whatever the score was just gone. We were concentrating on Wales. So yeah, we didn't really have a problem with that at all.
0: One of the I suppose one of the famous games where you came up against each other was the the 89 FA Cup final, 3-2 Liverpool, instant classic. Uh, Ian, you with you had the, the two mm. goals for Liverpool that day. a uh, Load of Irish lads. On, on, I know Kevin Sheedy was on, on your own team, and you had Staunton and uh, who else and Aldridge, Houghton, it was, an, it was an Irish team, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of lads there. Um, what was it like coming up against this guy? I mean, he, I mean, he made your life hell that day, particularly, but at Liverpool good over the line. But it's still one of those FA Cup finals that you can maybe look back on now and, and think, geez, what a, what a classic of a match to be involved in.
9: Well, it wasn't really, because we lost. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not for Everton fans, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, look, um, we were never in the game, really, until so we made the substitution, I think Stuart McCall came on. Changed the game a little bit, it was boiling up. And to be fair, it's, it's, it's difficult when you, when, you, when you play against Liverpool because they're a good team. Do you know I mean? And people think that it's rivalry, but it is rivalry. But if Liverpool don't have a strong Everton, they don't do as well. And if Everton don't have a strong Liverpool, they don't do as well because you need you need that rivalry, I suppose, in the city as, as much as you need the respect. I think respect between the two clubs. When I, we used to look at him and his team, so right, we need to match these and we need to beat these if we want to win anything. Because they were the best team in, well, in Europe at the time, to be fair, if not the world. Because they never used to play the Mickey Mouse World <laughs> Games then, didn't they? But yeah, so I think for us it was a case of, if we could beat these, then we could finish above them. We'd win the league and we'd win a cup.
0: Was it, was it different for you, Ian, when you're, when you're through on goal and, and you're coming up against Neville, someone, a goalkeeper who you know so well from training with the national team, uh, are you psychologically thinking of it any differently, or is it all just happened so fast that it, it, it's irrelevant, really?
10: I think it just <clears throat> just happened so fast. I think you, if you think about it, you won't score it's as simple as that, and that's what happens. And uh, you know, I think I scored twenty-eight goals against Everton, nine, but I, it would have been forty-eight only because of Nev. You know, because <laughs> yeah. people talk about those I scored, but I missed quite a few one-on-ones and all that because Nev's in goals. So people say that I would. I would generally would have scored like let forties um, against Everton, but uh, when you when you one one, you, um, you don't think about it. You just do what's natural, and um, that's how you score the goals. I, I love hearing about you know sliding doors
0: moments in footballers' careers. And I know Neville, you, like you came to football relatively late compared to compared to most people. But was it true? And I think you, you might have written about this before. Like you, you got a call, you got a call from Alex Ferguson just prior to them signing Peter Schmeichel, mm-hmm. uh, trying to sign you for, for Manchester United. But maybe tell us why, how that didn't work out. Because again, sliding doors moments. Life could have worked out in other ways, but as it as it was, you didn't end up heading to Old Trafford.
9: No, I, I mean I never give anybody my home number. I didn't even <laughs> want to give you the club, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> and then one Sunday afternoon, I was sat in the house and the phone rang, and he said, "Picked uh, he said, oh, "Alex Ferguson here, I he have." I thought I thought it was Andy Gray messing about, so I put the phone down. And then ten minutes later, he phoned back and said, "Oh, it is Alex Ferguson, blah blah, we're interested in this," and then. Obviously, I just said, look, you're going to have to speak to my agent, whatever. But Les Sealy told me at the time, whether it's true or not, that once I'd sat by the post in the Leeds game, he wasn't interested. Right. So it wasn't that phone call. It was the fact that I sat by the post he didn't like. So, But tell me, you've got to do what you've got to do, haven't you?
0: You've got to have care. I mean, football's probably missing character at the minute and characters. You know, you, you look at different sports that have characters and it increases the interest and... Maybe that's an element of it, that you need more of that, that you need... Yeah, but the, the you, can't, of you, can't, the then.
9: you can't anymore, because it's, there's 80 cameras round the ground, <laughs> and, no one, and the way that society is at the moment, you can't, you can't be seen to be doing anything. Do you know what I mean? Imagine if, if they say anything out of line, they just get absolutely hammered. So they come out, and it's the blandest thing. It's funny now, because I, I watch a telly on a Sunday and that, and then on a Monday, you don't read about the game... You read about what the pundits were arguing about. (laughs) Nothing about the games, it's it's about what the pundits said. I'm thinking, hang on a minute, where did we switch from having uh, a good game to having whether Rick Keane said something to Jamie Cunningham or or Mm. Gary Neville? I I find it quite weird.
10: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think it's right. Neb's right there. I think it's, uh, you know, people say you wish you were playing football today. I don't because uh, I I had a great time off the pitch as well. And <clears throat> that's what it's all about. I mean, we can we can have stories to tell when we finish playing football. I think footballers today. I don't think they'll have any. And we had a laugh and a joke in the dressing room every day. I'm not sure whether you get that anymore.
9: Yeah. Well, y- and also, there's no bollockings anymore. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I know for fact that some of the people don't like raised voices, which which is fine in some ways. But the players we played with some of them would like an absolute bollock in it <laughs> half-time to make them play better. So all of them people who, who want ag up G-OB don't get a up because everything's flat. And, and I think if you look at football now, right, in general, it's all about telling them what they can't do. Yeah. Right? It's about you can't play this many games, you can't play this many minutes, you can't train like this, you can't do this, you can't do that. And then I think football's flat and that's why you don't get characters. You don't get players like him anymore. You don't get world class. If you can name me ten world class players, you're doing well.
0: Yeah. Right? Well, the other thing is as well. Like when you look at the modern game, I mean, you talk about sitting beside the post. You'd have you'd have three or three and
9: a half, four minutes to sit beside the post for VAR decisions in, in the modern yeah. game. You know, which totally different. Yeah, to see, my thing is, they're not used to watching telly. Why don't they get the people off Google Box to do VR? <laughs> <laughs> right, and then they're used to watching telly, aren't they? Drawing lines sure. as well. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and then. You know they've changed all the terminology to make it all interesting. Yeah. You know between the lines and all that. Uh, we all play between the lines. That's what's f- Yeah. Then, so all oh, we play be like, Oh, he's in. A... And the other thing that gets right on my nerves is, oh, he's a number six. He's a number nine. Well, what does that mean? Is <laughs> nine it could be different to his nine. It could be different. A, a to
10: false number nine. <laughs> yeah, false nine. Yeah. yeah a yeah, false yeah, number yeah, nine. Yeah. Like,
9: do you know what, What's a true know, number nine? Do you know what a yeah, false yeah. number nine is? <laughs> somebody who can't play up front and they can't play midfield <laughs> so they've got to float around that little area and they, 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 haven't, they haven't come a name with them apart from somebody who's not very good Yeah. so you yeah. become a false name so you don't do the running up front you don't track back in midfield you're a lo- what we would have called a luxury player but <laughs> you only put on the last 10 minutes in a hope that you might get a result but where, where are you getting all these numbers from when they all talk as if it's a different language now yeah, and I, yeah. I don't get it well, what happened to Being a center half? You're not a center half. Oh you're number four
0: <laughs> <laughs> No offence to all The false number nines Out there uh, well, no, to yeah, Take I'm... any offence Ian when you look at the, And Neville's brought it up like, When you look at The number of World-class players Maybe granted it is Less than, than it used to be But someone like Erling Haaland Like seeing him yeah. day, out, day in day out the Premier League almost feels feel quite privileged as a football fan now to be able to just watch someone of, of that talent like he's like a robot
10: oh he's, he's incredible you know the man I think he scored 20 odd goals already <laughs> so he's uh, and he's playing in the right side as well I think the Manchester City I think if Manchester City would have signed Harry Kane last year I think Harry Kane would do exactly the same yeah no they were, they've been looking for what proper uh, number nine not a false one a proper number nine <laughs> yeah and, uh, but he's, he's, he's a joy to watch uh,
0: Neville, I, I've read different uh, part times. Like you're someone who took inspiration from, from other sports and, and like you know watching whether it be boxers or, or golfers and trying to you know see how they improved balance and agility and different things. There's a great quote from you: "If I changed a hundred things and got one percent better because of it, it was worth it." Like you talk about minor kit changes, behavior changes. Yeah. For you, it seemed to be when you're a footballer, you know, sweat the small stuff essentially, and, 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 and you know, improve yourself in little ways.
9: But what's the idea to play football to be the best? So you have to, you have to have, go through everything all the time to be the best. You, you don't, and, and that's the other thing. Now, I was allowed to do extra and extra. They, these aren't allowed to do anything extra anymore because you want to get him in. You've done an hour, you better come in because you might get tired. Do you know what I mean I, I can't remember anybody in my career or yours mm. saying, "Oh, you look a bit tired. Probably have a have a day off this week." Cause it, I think
10: never, you only get tired when you're losing, don't you? Yeah. That's, if yeah, you're yeah, winning, you'll true. never get tired when no. you're winning. You know?
9: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I, I think it's just. If you're going to go and do a job, right, you want to be the best at it. Because somebody down the road, I always thought when I went to training, if I don't do what I want to do today, somebody down the road is going to do it and they're going to be better than me. And I don't want that. I want to be the best. And that's why I like playing against the best. Because that's the way you challenge yourself and get better by playing against the best. Well, well, that's
0: a good point that you raise as well is that, you know, you don't probably get tired when you're, when you're winning And, and Ian, like, one team that maybe is feeling a little bit tired at the minute Is potentially Liverpool uh, Like, granted, got the job done in their Champions League group but mm. And then after the City game, everyone's thinking right, They're going to push on now, this is going to be the them But to lose to Forest and Leeds, two teams you'd expect to beat any day of the week uh, For Liverpool's yeah. team of Liverpool's calibre uh, How do you assess what's happening with Jurgen Klopp and that team at the minute? Uh,
10: well, I just think uh, they had such a, a magnificent season last season you know people expecting the same and you're not going to get that you no know, we nearly won a quadruple we had a great season winning two trophies so you the expectations are there and when you and I th- I do think it's a matter of coming back early they haven't had enough rest <coughs> you now because of the World Cup coming on um, you no know, and it, people don't we've had the for the UK we've had a very hot two or three weeks in UK and and I know Jürgen likes to um, keep on fully training you've got to do this training you've got to train and they may get bit, they may be tired and when you get tired you start feeling sorry for yourself you know, and things don't happen and it hasn't happened for Liverpool no, I still think they're going to you know, uh, have a good season but um, no I think it's, it's going to be hard because everyone wants to beat Liverpool that's a, as well and everyone wants to beat Liverpool and we're looking at the squad rather than just the 11 now we're looking at the squad of 22 23 and they have to perform can I just ask you one that that, that struck me on the on the drive in? I was
0: just looking at the BBC had a, had a uh, an article up talking about um, Hillsborough chants and the FA kind of clamping down on this as uh, something that that seems to have reared an, an, its ugly head in, in football. Look, it's not a new thing. Um, rival fans chanting about Hillsborough and uh, look. Munich and other uh, disasters and, and tragedies are often chanted about but what's your take on that as someone who was, who was there on that day and, and look the families have to listen to all this stuff but it's it's fairly disgusting stuff
10: yeah just got to stamp it out I think uh, with what's in there now I think we've got cameras everywhere now so I think cameras can spot these people and uh, I, I think it's down to the clubs as well the clubs have got to inform the supporters as well because it just has to stop
9: nothing's going to stop yeah right because they won't do enough right what they should do if they're really serious is all, all the stewards wear cameras, like the police do, and then report them straight away. And if, if it carries on, they shut that section of the ground down. And if it carries on, they take the points off the club. Yeah. And it, that's the only way you're going to get rid of it. Unfortunately, the way society is at the moment, because you can go online and absolutely hammer somebody all the time, and there's no consequence. Everybody thinks they could say what they want now, and there's no consequence to it. So the FA needs to grow a backbone... And They need to do something about it, and, and, but they're not. They're, they're going to make all the right noises, but what, how can they stop people chanting? Yeah, it's not. It's not about right. It's not about you and the FA saying don't do it. It's about me sat next to him if he says it, and me policing that and going, no, we're not having that. Mm-hmm. We're not having that as a. But they won't. And there'll be a lot of good people who will try and stop it, but unfortunately, the way society is, it's, it will carry on because they, and the other thing is, they know it hurts. And, that, and that's the other thing they know it hurts. it's disgusting and I think anybody found chanting like that or on <coughs> homophobic chants, they should be banned for life and then that might send a proper message what's the punishment now you've seen when England play in Europe mm. what's the punishment for teams where England get racially abused yeah. uh, What oh, a fine play behind closed doors no throw them out the competition and stop it otherwise it's going to carry on it's disgraceful and I don't know I think one of the MPs has wrote to the FA haven't yeah. they I think Ian Burns to the FA To try and stop it But oh, Come on If they're shouting The other clubs should take responsibility for that And they should police their own people mm. It shouldn't be up to somebody upstairs To go actually Oh you need to do some violence It should be the clubs going round We're not having it And that's it uh,
0: Can I just ask you lads uh, Finally like, uh, And look it's, it's a, We should be talking about this In a positive light Because Wales have qualified For the first World Cup since 1958 mm. And it's an incredible achievement On the pitch uh, And it's a wonderful Wales team to watch and um, but then there's the whole issue, and we're have to deal with it in, in, in the media, I guess, as well, as to how we cover this Qatari World Cup. There's the sports washing, there's the human rights abuses. I saw you on your Twitter the other day, and I know, Neville, you give your, your Twitter over to different uh, you know, worthy causes at different points. Um, the LGBTQ plus community and, and how they're treated over there and the migrant deaths, it could go on. But how do you, how do you both feel about the, the World Cup generally? Because, look, on the pitch, we can't wait for the action, but there is that kind of bad taste oh, you, in the mouth. You should but, be asking...
9: What is it? What is the criteria for, go, for going there? And nobody can find out what the criteria is. Yeah. So, you know, people keep saying, "Well, should players go? Should should pundits go?" Well, that's not the question you should be asking. You should be asking, "Why is it there?"
2: Why did why, they get it in the first
9: place? Yeah. Why did Why did Russia get it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. That they should never have it because mm. there's no actual criteria that I can think of.
2: Mm.
9: And I, I spoke to the lad at Liverpool, the LGBT fellow at Liverpool. And I think he tried nine hotels before they'd left two men stay in a room together. Mm. And you're thinking, all of that, I think it's a disgrace that they've actually put it there. As a player, you want to go, and as a country, we've got to go, because we've got to, I suppose, inspire the next generation of footballers. Mm. Boys or girls?
10: Yeah, I I think Neb's right there. I think... uh... This should have been done when the draw was made for the King in Qatar, not like eight years ago or something like that. That should have been done then. It's too late now, because as it's coming up to it, because everyone wants to um, see the World Cup. It's in Qatar, so we have to get on with it. But uh, no, I think especially for Wales, 1958 was the last time, and it's unfortunate that they have to go to Qatar to see him play again. So hopefully it'll be more in the Europeans um, yeah. next time if they qualify. In a word, lads, as we wrap up, how
0: far will Wales get, do you think, in this World Cup? They have, they, what was it, England, USA and Iran in the group?
10: I, well, I think um, they're looking to, they, I think they're capable of getting to the second round. I think they've got the USA and Iran, the final games against England. I'm hoping that they've secured enough to, four points, I think that could qualify for second place. Then you're going against England, um, you know, looking, you no know, full of confidence. And you don't really want to be getting to that last game against England where you need to beat them, even though all the Wales, if you ask some people in Wales, they'd rather lose to USA and Iran and beat England and not qualify. <laughs> rather than. <laughs> Traveller didn't do that, <laughs> I, I know, I know, but I would like, I think we can get to the second round. What have you, You never by far?
9: Well, I look at the three teams and think that all of them are beatable, right? So we should get out of the group, and then it's uh luck of the draw isn't it? Yeah, well, there's yeah. no reason why they can't get out of the group because Ignodon having a great time, which might suit them, mm. America, USA are after decent, Iran. Iran might be our hardest game, yeah. Because you know, because you expect to win. Well, yeah, we expect it to win every year. We don't do so well when we're favourites. Yeah. Wales are good at being underdogs. So, yeah, but once, if they get through, then it, it's up to them. And I, I, I really expect them to get through yeah. to the to the second bit. And then, then it's a matter of luck of the draw. Whether your players all stay healthy, because that's the other thing. Yeah. You know, the, the weather's going to take a lot out of them. And I, and I think we could be looking here. I don't see why you can't get quarter-final, semi-final.
0: Absolutely. Listen lads, Neville South Autley and Rush, two legends. Thanks so many for your time this afternoon. Enjoy the enjoy the rest of your time in Dublin if you, if you get the pints in, enjoy them. Cheers. Thanks, Mike.
2: cheers, thanks. thanks so OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave magnificent mo.